At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowton Aaron of Amigos Retro Gaming, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vedke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Mal Funk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Robert Murphy, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Coco Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever yo pleasel, because we're about to rock your 8-bit world. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Coco Talk on its new time slot, one hour earlier. Same crappy content. We're here on episode 216, where we've got some basic assembly coming at you, and who knows what else. We are here. The show is starting sooner, so your misery will end sooner. You are welcome. We've got a great show. We've got a great panel. We're going to get things moving right away. We're going to start off with everyone's favorite Canadian. You know him. You love him. It's none other than... Nick Marona. How you doing there, Nico? I'm doing well. Thank you, Stevie. Glad right. to be here. And we're glad to have you here. The guy who posts the links in the chat and does all kinds of other stuff, our Apple guy, Mark D. Overholzer, is in the house. How you doing, Mark? Hey there. Glad to be here. He's the official stunt double for ZZ Top. Rick Ulan's here. He's muted, but that's okay. We got another Canadian, the creator, and we did. I did our special newer Coco Talk electronic theme, so by uh, legendary uh, vocal coach and musical engineer and producer himself, creator of Forest of Doom and Coco Forever and so many other things. D. Bruce Moore is with us. Hello, D. Bruce. Hey, hey, glad to be here. We are glad to have you. Our backup streamer and engineer and all-around fun guy to be with, Mark Bosley's here. Hello, how you doing? Mm-hmm. From O Canada, L Curtis Boyles here. How's it going, eh? Going good. 
Hello, everyone. All right, take off, eh? And the, the creator of our Assembly with George J. series, George, is here. Hey, George, thanks for being here. Good morning, good afternoon, depending upon your time zone. Glad to be here, and uh, hopefully we'll get through but uh, not as much pain this week. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who loves song parodies, Ron Delvaux, in the house. Ron Delvaux! Hello, everyone. All right, welcome, Ron. Alan Murphy's here. Hello, Alan Murphy. Greetings, Tokonuts. By the way, Alan Murphy uh, helps me assimilate things like who's new to Discord. He's helping with the gathering the news for the newsletter. He's a he's a he's a team player, and we appreciate you, Alan Murphy. Speaking of team players, there would be no team without. Oh, you know him. You love him, David Ladd. David, are you excited to be here? Ah, yes, I am. How's everybody doing? Are we ready for this train wreck today? Oh, we are ready. We got a guy who makes so much money, he says. Oh, crocky. Every time he picks up a check, Nicholas Morantes is here. Good eye, Nick. Good eye, everyone. <laughs> I can't believe you made it. Nick. I know. We're in even an hour earlier. Oh, I so just it's... made it. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm already half asleep. So I haven't gone to bed yet. Trust me. I, I, I am too. Uh, hey, what, what is it, Nick, for you? It's what, 3 a.m. or something? Uh, 3 a.m., yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's commitment, a, folks. It, that's got, it's got to be a good show, otherwise. <laughs> that's right. We're going to let you down, and we can't do that. And we st <laughs> we started an hour early because Kevin Holloway is usually in the live chat an hour early. So we're starting on time for Kevin. Uh, Kevin's out there. Mark Bosley's out there. L. Curtis Boyle, Nick Marota, Kevin Holloway, TJB Chris is out there. Mikey, big fan of the Snoozy Newsies out there. Nick Marota's out there. Mark Overholzer, Mark Overholzer. Nick Marota, Sixy, Karen is out there saying hello, hello. And uh, Weasler B, Brian Weasler and Mike Miller and uh, Canadian Retro Things. And so many people are here. Dave and Sharon, Mr. Dave is here. Uh, Kevin Holloway is here. He's, he's saying that Nick uh, Morentes is full of dedication. So we're going to just... Full um, of something. Yeah, it was full of something, that's for sure. He's definitely full of money <laughs> from all this... Uh, game sales so we're gonna just we're gonna we gotta jump in and so we have an an extended length who's new to discord this week for two reasons number one a lot of people are new and we want to um say hi to them and, and say what they have to say and not only that but we're also gonna have a teaser of a special guest that's gonna be on the show in two weeks so that will be part of the who's new to discord this week so for your viewing and listening pleasure Please see who's new to Discord, and please get ready for a sneak peek of a special guest we'll have live here on this show in two weeks. And wait for it. Three Mississippi, two Mississippi. Here we go. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week. Please welcome Johnny, who says, I acquired a Tandy Color Computer 3 recently and have a general interest in old computers. Been servicing my old machine thanks to COVID and added a Tandy category to my site. Nick Yanis says, Hi, I'm Nick from Melbourne, Australia. I'm watching Coco Talk in the Assembly 01 show and love it. I was looking for a download related to the show. Can't wait to play around with Assembly again like I did back in college many years ago. Forgot it all, so why not recap now? Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bob and Coco, Bob T says, I'm not sure how I stumbled into Coco Talk. 
but I believe it was during a mood of nostalgia while looking at a BBS list online. I have to admit, I get a kick out of seeing so many Coco enthusiasts in my age group still crazy about this amazing computer from almost 40 years ago. But the show has rekindled my interest and passion for the Coco so much that I'm in the process of duplicating my original Coco 3 system with some modern enhancements. Lint J. Gordon is into TRS-80, Commodore, and Atari systems. Likes to restore, maintain, clean, and use them. Has been a podcast listener for a couple of years and is here now seeking enlightenment and news. 8-Bit Era says, My name is Stefan Vogt and I live in Berlin, Germany. Glad to be here. I grew up with the C64 and Amiga, but have a quite extensive collection of 8 and 16-bit computers. Love them all. On Twitter, I'm known as the 8-Bit Era, and I'm a proud member of Puddle Software, a non-commercial collective of retro developers scattered around the UK, Germany, and Australia. I develop adventure games for classic systems, often for a vast range of them. My newest game is soon to be available for the Coco and Dragon, and so will my future games, so I hope to update the community. It's been brought to my attention that I've been referenced on the last Coco Talk episode 215. Thanks for that. Amazing that there's such a vibrant Coco sing around. Love the machine. Thanks for the invite, Torsten. Sabhead Andrew says, Hey, my name is Andrew. Sabhead refers to me being a fan of Black Sabbath. I grew up with the color computer in the 80s and 90s, and now I'm looking to get back into it. I've been watching the replay of Coco Talk for the past few weeks, and I thought I'd stop by this channel to see what's going on. And as always, we'd like to give a big thanks to Paul Fiscarelli, Data Soup, Terry Steggy, and all of our Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. You can join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord. Hi, guys. This is uh, Stefan from Puddle Software. I create new Infocom-style adventures for old machines, including uh, the Coco computer, um, live on Coco. Oh, shoot. I screwed up. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I'm going to have to... It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Please... This is uh, Stefan from Puddle Software. I create new Infocom-style adventures for old machines, including uh, the Coco computer, um, live on Coco Talk on the 26th this month. And uh, we're having an, an interview there. And if you guys are keen to learn more about my games and what I do and why I love the Coco, just tune in. Uh, we're live on Twitch TV, on on YouTube, or whatever media you like to. We're live everywhere. <laughs> Just plug in, tune in, and uh, I'll be sure to answer your questions. All right. So we have Torsten to thank for that because uh, Curtis mentioned this on the news last week that some guy on Twitter is doing a Infocom, new Infocom game for like 52 different retro systems, and then he added... Uh, the Coco and the Dragon to that lineup. And um, thanks to our viewers, they reached out. And we reached out. We got together. We're going to have them on the show in two weeks. So on the 26th, Stefan will be here, which is how you pronounce that in German, right? Stefan. Yep. So um, we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to finding out what he's been doing on all these different vintage systems. And now he's kind of new to the Coco. He's in our Discord channel. He's in our Discord server. So he, we got a channel for his uh, adventure games and you can talk to him and all kinds of stuff. So we look forward to that. Uh, thank you, Stefan, for joining the community. Thank you, Torsten, for reaching out. 
And I love how we're able to kind of uh, cross-pollinate and uh, meet new people from different systems and how they all kind of get in. Um, uh, what is Stefan saying? What is 60 saying? I didn't get very far. haven't found the code to unsecure whatever it is. Uh, okay. I'm not, I'm, maybe I'm missing where that is in the uh, conversation. He's talking about playing the game. Hibernation oh, okay. Okay. So he's already started the game. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the game's out now. I'll just I'll, It's coming up in the news too, but I'll just do a brief mention since we're talking about Stefan. Um, basically, the game is released as a digital download on Zitch.io page, which we'll give the links to when we get to the news. And it's available for 26 or 27 retro systems from Ataris to Amigas to Amstrads to you know, all kinds of things. And uh, he's coming out with a collectible version, which will be voxed with art, which we'll be showing off on when he comes on for the interview. That'll be coming out probably in August. And he'll even have a special Coco version of the box as well, too. So uh, look forward Excellent. to that. Does it come with feelies? Um, there might be yeah. 3D graphics or maybe some scratch and sniff. Who knows? There's been lots of props and gags that Infocom has done over the years with their games, right? Yes. Okay. Well, cool. So just so you know, we're going to have Stefan on. And by the way, Karen, since you're out there, I'm not sure if you spoke to him, but I did mention that you helped me create one of those uh, schizophrenic discs that could work on a Coco and a Dragon. So and that might be nice for him to have a disc image uh, for his game where one size fits all. Um, so I'm not sure if you guys have communicated, but if you're able to help him with that, that would certainly be great. And I think David Ladd might be able to do that too. I think David knows a thing or two about the floppy. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into Nick Moroda's favorite segment here, which is the game on segment. Uh, where we're going to talk about the game we played this week. And often as fate would have it, Samuel Gimes, the deep thinker who brought us the Coco thought series, he will often do something. And sometimes that is inspired by the game. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's musical. Sometimes it's not, but it's always deep. It is always thoughtful and it's always Coco related. So how about we start off with seeing this week's Coco thoughts and then we'll get into the results of uh, this week's Game On Challenge. And here we go. And now Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Please save the jungle queen annoying vines on screen to save the queen water too difficult can't find the native cult could use a catapult forget Play ball. <laughs> yeah, I felt like well, we should be standing for that one. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, I think we've just lost all of our UK contingent on our show. <laughs> that was blasphemy. <laughs> all right. So uh, thank you, uh, Samuel Gimes, for that deep thought and for that uh, touching, heartfelt, moving rendition of... Um, God save the Jungle Queen. All right, so let's see what the results are. This is Nick Marota's favorite part of the show, where he gets to be mentioned, and he gets to talk for a long time, too. He likes the sound of his own voice. So let's see what's oh, going on this cool. week here. High Score Challenge with Nick Marota. All right, listen up, you miserable maggots. Coco Talk has been way too girly for far too long. We aim to fix this severe behavioral disorder. <laughs> Toot sweet. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. What this show needs is to get macho. <laughs> Welcome to the results of this week's Game On Challenge. The game was Jungle Queen, and there were 12 participants. And the scores were as follows. Alan Murphy with 1,000 points. Gary M, 1,000. OG Stevie Stroh, 1,000. Tom C, 1,000. Mr. Dave, 6309, 1100. Canadian Retro Things, 1300. Jim Rye, 1600. Tasman, 1600. Nico, 2200. David Craker, 2800. Karen, 4100. And the top score this week goes to Buck Owens with 14,000. 200 points. Great job, all you macho men. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. All right, so hopefully that was a lot less girly than before. <laughs> With the village people. <laughs> It's macho. We got to macho things up here, guys. All right. Now, the results. Nick Morona, tell us oh. all about this week's game and who played and what we need to know and what we don't need to know about Jungle Queen. Yes, <laughs> Canadian so Retro Thing says this is the only game where I wish there was a slow speed poke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just sharing my screen here. Sure. So our game, this week, our game this week was Jungle Queen, and here's the review in Rainbow. Uh, they, they, were, uh, they thought it was a good game. Um, it was a good recreation of Jungle Hunt. Uh, the, only, the negative thing they said was the graphics do not set a new standard for excellence, such as uh, games that Zaxxon would have, uh, which I agree. The graphics were a little, uh, you know, not the best, but uh, the gameplay was uh, recreated the, the game, the arcade game anyway. Um, so anyway, thanks again to uh, Canadian Retro Things who created our video for us this week. Uh, check out his channel for Retro, Coco, and other systems. And uh, you should watch the video this week. I, you can sort of tell that, uh, that Ken was not uh, terribly enamored with this version of Jungle Hunt. And uh, he says that it, that it inspired him to hook up his Coleco and play that version. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that this inspired you, Ken. That's, that's one of the goals of the, of the, uh, of the segment. So uh, there were some differences that people didn't like. For example, on this, on this, this level, the swinging vines, it didn't matter where you were, where the, where the right vine was, you could jump uh, anywhere. You could jump on the left vine. You didn't, you don't have to pay attention the two vines being close to each other like you did in the arcade some people didn't really like that um, you mean you're saying it's impossible to not catch it because i missed it a whole bunch of times no you can you only have to care where the vine on the left is it doesn't matter oh where the vine on the oh right is. oh really okay whereas in the arcade they have to be close yes to yes okay so you're saying as long as the left one's close no matter where you are you would you would make it yeah oh that would make a huge difference yeah <laughs> In fact, I, I was playing it that way when at first until yeah. I read that. So yeah. I, I was I was timing it so that the vines were close. To right, me. right. And then I read that it didn't matter, and sure enough, it did. I had a hard time with these damn crocodiles, man. I could not figure them out. 
But yeah, Bob had a good strategy for the crocodiles which I hadn't seen before, just basically hovering around the upper right corner. And he actually, I don't know if you got his video. He actually made it all the way through. Yeah, I have his video as well. Oh, okay, cool. So, uh, newbie of Canada, huh? More Canadian content. Yeah. Yeah, if we could switch over to, uh, oops. Oh, I hate when this menu pops down. And it did it again. Sorry, I'm trying to switch over to Buck Owens uh, video to see if he made it. <laughs> Ken Reichard says, strange game. The only winning move is not to play. <laughs> All right, there's a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is not going well. All right, here we go. So here's the level after the alligator. This is our... our... Oh, this is uh, the boulders. We have to either duck or jump over the boulders. Which I don't think I ever made it to this game on the Coco. I like the effect when the boulders hit it. The, video, the, the screen shifts down. Yeah, that is interesting. I don't know if it does that in the arcade as well. And you can kind of see some garbage on the screen when it does a shift there. Like it's just offsetting the... Uh... Yeah, somebody yeah. couldn't have cleared that out or something. But that's okay. That's cool. Yeah. It's, a, it's a neat effect. Neat jumping effect. He could have. It just. He's, it looks like he's just changing the pointer to the where the screen starts by the 512 bytes, and he just left whatever garbage was up there. Maybe he wanted it that way because it, it kind of looks, looks like, like tree clouds, tree stuff, or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's not quite as noticeable seeing it, you know, live too when it's a bit faster. So. Yeah. So here's the. Um... No, actually. Okay, here we go. Here's oh. the final level. Oh wow! And so, how do you do? You do something with these guys, or you just have to jump up and grab her? What's the deal? That's all he did. Jump over. Jump up and grab her. her. And, you're done. and now they're together. Yay. 116,000. Oh, wow. Look at that. See, yeah. that now that, that guy is a macho man, right? He's out there running <laughs> through the jungles, rescuing the queen. That, oh, what the hell just happened here? Did well, it this is level two. Oh, level so two, they give you the, 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 uh, the, uh, the surprise game palette. <laughs> it looks like a freaking Smurf on acid. What's going on here? <laughs> and there's a monkey on the vine. Wow. Yeah, this uh, Puyan palette does not do the game justice. It's, it's not terrible. Like the, uh, the 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 leaves up top look, you know, pseudo greenish. The uh, kind of pink sky is not. Oh, so if you if you if you get there and the monkey, he knocks you off. Yeah. Like he's a. Uh... So do you have to wait for him to go, or do you have to get higher than him on your where you catch? You have to you have to aim it so that you're not going to land where he is. So okay, so he just shift up and down. So I see. So you let him go higher. Yeah, I've never seen this before. I never. Okay, now the monkey's high. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he probably is. Yeah, right. That's why the sky's all pink. Yeah, We're right. Seeing, uh... <laughs> you found I the magic I... mushrooms in in the deep. No, yeah, that's that's an interesting. Just, I mean, these these colors don't do it a huge disservice. It's just a little different. But um, other than the pink sky, the rest of the screen doesn't look that bad. That could be just a really awesome sunset. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's dusk. Yay! Rescue the girl. So yeah, Buck Owens did quite well again. Earlier in the week, he's like, "I don't think I'm gonna make it past the boulder level," and then he then he ends up wrapping it, <laughs> of course, wrapping it. So can't really can't really believe what he says. Right. But here you can see his technique where he stays in the upper right and just kind and of he, also he he's leading he's leading them, like yeah. they they're coming to they're coming to him. You lead them, just duck yeah. and, and get them. Basically, huh? the last second he ducks down to 
stab it in the mouth, basically. I gotcha. so I can, from what I can tell. <laughs> Mike Miller says this is swimming in Pepto Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of need that after playing the game, so that's, yeah, right? that's understandable. Uh. And the other advantage of that is you don't run out of air. That's you true. Don't run out of air because you're always yeah. up. Yeah. The bubbles did give him problems though, because you have to like repeatedly stab your way out of them, and sometimes mm. the gator can get. So they're like a, they become like an obstacle. Yeah. So pretty decent game. Yeah, you know, I only had one it's... chance to play, and I just found well, as soon as I got to the alligators, they were just kicking my butt. I didn't know what to do, and I didn't have more time to invest in it this week. But um, good game, good game. Yeah. Like your Jeep sticker. Right. That's Buck Owens. That's yeah. Buck Owens, but yeah. Looks Jeep. all 3D. I feel like I can reach out and pull it off. But I yeah, right? Put on, <laughs> put on your glasses. Uh, cool. Anybody have any tips and tricks? That's a new one there. It's like, just stay in the corner. Uh, rename yourself uh, Buck Owens. Oh, there's a dog. And there's hey, a dog. doggy. Yeah, his comment, I think, was some along the lines of his dog wasn't impressed with the game either. Ah. Like oh. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. a critic. Yeah. <laughs> It, for me, it was it was a good try. It actually it seems to have all the screens. I remember from the arcade. I never was good at the arcade game either. Um, so and it seems to like to have the extra bits on the other levels, like adding the monkeys on level two and the vines, etc. So it was a pretty good attempt at a clone, but it's not the smoothest game, and it's a little bit too hard, I think, even compared to the arcade. That's the one big issue I would have. But we got it. We have a version of the game. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that uh, strategy there to stay in the corner. And then you just duck at the last second to stand. And then these colors here actually work out pretty good because the crocodile itself is actually green. The water's blue, you know, so sometimes yeah, this the color's col fine. Yeah, no Pepto Bismol yeah. here. This, this is one game that actually artifact colors would not have helped. Right. This, this does other, look than, this other than the kind of intermission screens, the kind of transitions where you get the uh, kind of flesh tone with the uh, yeah. dithering. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Anything else to say about it? It seems like this was a huge hit with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one of our smaller weeks. Uh, that's okay. You know, not every game will appeal to everybody. But Yeah, uh, yeah in I my knew, case... I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I, I basically, I, I didn't like the game much back in the old days. I, like I said, I didn't like the arcade game that much either. It wasn't my, my bag. Moon Patrol is much better. Um, so I probably wouldn't have played it anyway, but actually I was so swamped with work this week. Thank God that uh, I just didn't have time again. So. <laughs> Well, I try not. I try not to let my own biases get away, get in the way when I pick games. Like I'll pick. No, ones you shouldn't. That, you shouldn't. Don't are, pick games just you like. Yeah, type exactly. Thing. Pick I pick yeah. ones that are that are borderline for me and hope that other people will like it. You know, so uh, so this is one of those that you know not one of my favorite games, but um, I picked it anyway because I thought it was a decent port. And, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a better port than some other ones we had, like Donkey Monkey, for example. You know, kind of only did two screens and did that one weird hybrid screen. Yeah. So it, it doesn't play any close to the arcade, but it was really fun for young children because it was much easier. So it does have redeeming qualities, even though you know, like Donkey King or Donkey Kong would blow it out of the water. Yeah. Kind of thing. So sometimes you get little hidden gem things that are, or certain audiences that like a particular game that you know others may not. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, you definitely want to keep covering every every game you can. Don't worry about yeah. whether they're. Um, I'm just going to throw out another plug and and teaser for a, a future event. What is the date of the Amigos um, charity thing? That's July the 25th and 6th. Is it? Do you remember, Curtis? Uh, it's July something. Let me look at I'm my calendar. They're in the quick. chat right now to tell me. <laughs> um, so that I believe it's July. 
the July the 24th is the main Saturday one, but I'm going to be the tail end of that, which will end up being Sunday, July 25th. So the Amigos are doing a, um, uh, a retro marathon to raise money for a charity. I'm not sure which uh, charity is going, be, is going to be Children's Miracle like Network. Yeah. So um, at 8 a.m. Sunday morning on the 25th of July, um, I'll be the last part of the 24-hour thing, and I'm going to be doing Cocoa stuff. So uh, if anybody has any Cocoa games they'd like to see played, that day, you can just shoot me a message in Discord if you want. I figured I would just make a single disc image of, uh, you know, half a dozen or so hand-selected games to show off. Because they're gonna, we're going to have a, a, I know their audiences from all over the world, and not all of them have seen a lot of Coco stuff. So this would be a chance for people to say, yeah, I'd love to see this game played or that game played. And I'll, we'll try to get that into my part of the marathon. Um, so make sure you guys check that out with the Amigos guys. And as we get closer, I'm sure we'll have it in the news and we'll have links and all that kind of stuff too. But just throwing that out there. Get, you get your requests in for some Coco games if you want to see them played live. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, we did a brief mention last week, but yeah, that was before Stevie got signed up to be part of the show. Cool. You guys ready for the big surprise? I want to. I would really like to just soak in some more of this Pepto Bismol here for I, me. I have a craving well, for another pastel color game. Well, so what, what know, do you got, Nick? Speaking of the Puyan palette, <laughs> dun, dun, there we dun. go. Hey, look at that! This is a game I absolutely suck at. So oh, I, same. I, this is a, this is one I I find it very hard, but it seems yes. to be very popular. So hopefully, uh, hopefully. Nick, Nick question: Do you play it on keyboard or on joystick? Because it actually allows both. I play it on joystick. Is it easier on keyboard? Uh, for me, it is. Oh, I'll try that. It's just up, down, and shoot, right? It's not like there's a yeah. lot of... Uh... And we do have a hack for this, right? Isn't this one on your games disc that you and Nick created where you get the... Yes, where you can get proper pallets? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know there's a Coco 3 patch for this one, too. That's that's self, self-hacked, self but there's also the game disc one where it's a little loader program where you can load up certain games and change the colors on them. Yeah, um, I think there's somebody made a Coco VJ version too. So if you have a Coco VJ, you might be able to get the improved palettes as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. All right, so uh, Data Soft, on. James Garin, right? Who also brought us uh, Canyon Climber and Shooting Gallery. So um, I'll mention the system requirements for people that want to know. It's Coco One, Two, or Three. It requires 32K um, or 64, obviously, or higher. Uh, it plays with keyboard or joystick. Um, self-centering joystick would be recommended so you can stop, you know, not get bitten by the wolves on the right-hand side. There's basically two screens of uh, gameplay with some bonus round stuff too later on too. So and some pretty Wait, decent only music. Two, only two screens? No, there's more than that. Mm, there are variations. Well, right? it, well, there's bonus rounds. You can count that as a third, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, isn't the flag? Isn't the flag the level number? No, I guess not. Okay, that tells you how many. Oh, it tells me how many more you have to kill. Okay, thirty-two is how many are remaining. The five might be the round. Yeah, the thirty-two on the left is how many bad guys are remaining. Wolves are be left to get. Yeah. To get, yeah. So yeah, some rounds they're from the top falling down. You got to prevent them from hitting the bottom, and the other rounds they're on the bottom going up. You have to prevent them from getting to the top. Right. Yeah. But it's it's always this kind of tree, right? <laughs> or do we ever yeah. get? Yeah. And the bonus round that basically just stuff is no, going to hit you. You have to shoot. So. Okay. All right, so that's our game for the week. So thanks again to CRT and Buck Owens for your videos. And uh, thank you, Stevie, for the for your video and for the Let Me Do the Segment. And we'll see you next week. All right, all right. So, George J., are you ready? I'm ready as I'll ever be, Do I guess. You, you need time. All right, well, we're going to, um, we're not going to, we're not going to, 
uh, waste any time here. We, um, we're going to jump in. Now, we had some discussions last week while we were live and on the air, and then there were some discussions going on in our Discord channel, and I think the general consensus is this is great, we like it, but we're going we're gonna to assume that we're, our audience is people who know nothing, and we're going to keep it real simple. We're going to get super basic, and with that segue, we'll take it over to you, George. Well, that's kind of what I got last week. This is all great, but I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Seems to <laughs> so I did, uh, did a reset. Let me uh, back here up. Oh, I'm not much of a, a game guy. I always enjoy that segment. Uh, it's not much of a game, but I did do something this week that uh, probably somebody else has done. Let me uh, share here. Okay. Uh, I finally hacked the ROM where I could actually see this. I don't have any Cocoa hardware, but I always wanted to see this uh, this screen here. So I, I ended up uh, hacking the Cocoa 3 ROM. And there's the hack code if anybody wants to hack the Cocoa ROM. If you're on the emulator and want to bring up that picture, it's just it give me something to do this week instead of playing games. Anyway, that's that's the hack. Didn't much, just a few uh, half a dozen instructions. OK, so on with this week. Uh, let me, uh, I forget to bring my system up here. I got a question. Why was the colors of those three guys different? I don't know. I just know that's all I got with the emulator. It might have been composite, not RGB or something in the yeah, emulator. Probably. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, that's, okay. that's the way it caught. I was just happy with the hack. I didn't get into which, uh, which set of... Uh, Palette registers it was using. Because I'm assuming your main defaults to RGB, but that that uh, composite picture in the basic ROM defaults to a composite palette. If I remember white and blue or something. Okay, so here we. Uh, this is what I kind of put out the other day. Okay, we're talking about reset back to square one. Let's start back with uh, as little as basic as we can get. So we're going to take a, a very basic program that just prints one character in the middle of the screen, a few variables, calculate where it goes, and poke it to the screen. That's it. That's all we're going to, that's all we're going to do today, OK? Uh, and uh, I put that out on Discord, and it took off on its own. And we had, uh, it seemed to be like uh, a lot of people talking about it, how to do it, and similar, how many, you know, it was like the old uh, Game, how many notes can you do that? Yeah, <laughs> name that I tune, right? Three <laughs> notes, I can do that in a one note. Okay, was, <laughs> it was a good interchange there. Uh, so I got it down to one line, okay, of thirty characters on basic. So, but that's it. So, we're going to do is get the uh, the basic program over here to this screen. There it is. Prints an A in the middle of the screen. That's the whole basic program. Uh, it probably shows better uh, here. This is the, that's the program. A lot of it is just a bunch of comments. Okay, all we're going to do is this isn't basic. We're going to do the same thing similar. We're going to there's a character we're going to print. Give it a row, a column. Screen begin. Uh, our uh, print position. We calculate it and we poke it to the screen and we're done. Simple enough. And again, when we run it, 
I need to. It prints our A in the middle of the screen. Everybody happy with this? That's simple enough. So let me just make sure I'm reading these two numbers here. The 1262, that is the poke location of the screen where the first one is 1024. And we just continue yep. to increment down there. And then the right. four double E is the hex version of that 1262. Exactly. Because if you're going to, sooner or later, if you're going to do a summary, you're going to have to learn hex pretty good. Right. And um, for somebody who wants to figure out what that is, there is, um, what is it, hex string in basic. So if you yep. were just to say print hex string um, parentheses 1024, that would show you what it is, right? So there's the PP, right? right? So PP equals. Right, so hex string will take a decimal number and convert it to hex for you. That's right, um, that's, what that, that's what that portion is right there. Right, and if you want to do the opposite, if you want to convert a hex number into decimal, you'd say print and H, and the hex number, and then it would show you the um, the decimal. Yeah, and, and being the ampersand, not the word and. Yeah, a ampersand, yes. Right. Okay, so you've shown us a real simple basic program that Put the letter A in the center of the screen. Right. Okay. Now let's bring up. Uh, here's the uh, assembler program. Okay. It's 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 had a lot of comments, but there's not a lot in here. Okay. We're going to put it in at uh, 1100 hex. Okay. And we're just going to jump to the the basic program did a clear screen, so we're going to go off to basic and do a clear screen to start with a fresh screen. All right. We're going to load the register again, the address at the beginning of the screen, and we're going to store that in the same. We're using kind of use the same variable names as I did in the basic program. We're going to store that someplace in a variable called SB, screen begin. Then we're going to load the row in register A and store it in a variable called row. We're going to do the same thing for the column, load A with the column we want, column 14, and store it in a variable called COL. We'll load our character, okay, which that's character of an A, and store it in a variable called CH. CH so, for character. Yes, okay, and that's down here. We got our, here's our variables are all down here. Okay, we got character CH, we got screen begin. What does FCB stand for? A, a byte, a single byte. Oh. Character byte, yep. Fixed character, and then character byte. Or double byte. And DB is a double byte. Okay. It's two bytes. And here's our print position, our row, and our column. So that's that's where all of our variables are. Up here, we put something in the register, and we stored it in, in variables. Okay, now we're going to calculate the position on the screen, okay, which is, this is basically the same thing as the uh, uh, basic program was, okay? There's our character, our row, our column, our screen beginning, and we're going to calculate uh, where to put it. So to calculate that, if I find the right button here, we load the column up in B, and we're going to clear out A. Now that there is always confusing everybody. Let's let's go back to what we did, what we talked about uh, last week. Remember that register D thing? Mm -hmm. D is comprised of two smaller registers, eight bits and eight bits. A and B combined, there it's D. Okay, that's always confusing. It seems like to everybody. So we put the column in B and we cleared out A. So we got zero, zero, uh, zero, whatever our column was, okay? 14, we got zero, zero and a 14 in B. To add to D, 
we're going to add up the beginning of the screen. Okay, the SB was screen beginning, had the 1024 in it or hex 400. So we've added them two together. And we're going to store that for the time being in the print position. We're going to temporarily save it there. Would be so far? Yeah. yeah. So basically, you've got it pointing to the horizontal offset that you wanted, column 14, but on the first line still. Yes. So we've got we've got uh, that that part of it saved, okay? Because the uh, formula was the the row times thirty two plus the screen beginning plus the column. So now we're going to load A with the row, okay? Our row was seven, so now we put seven in A. And there's thirty two characters per screen or per row. I'm sorry. So we're going to load B with thirty two. And then we're going to use an instruction called MULT or multiply. Okay. Multiply is an unsigned number. A times B, it ends up in D, in a sense. Okay. That's where it ends up. So we multiplied it seven times 32, which, what is that, like 224, I believe? I'll take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we have computers for. <laughs> Siri, uh, what's uh? Hex <laughs> is not two twenty-four, but yeah. I'm trying to convert back to decimal. Right, right, and then we're going to take what we stored up here. Remember, we took the screen beginning and the column. We add them together. We stored it, so we're going to add that to the print, print position, position back to D. So now we've got the complete address in D. Okay, we're going to transfer D over to X because we need that to have that so we can point to the actual screen. So we just transfer D from one register to another. We're going to load A with our character, which was had an A in it. And then we're going to store that at X. And we're going to return back to basic. Okay, so X had the ad. We calculated that address. And it's in X and we're going to store whatever we put the character back to the to the screen. Too confusing? That's about as simple as we can get. Well, you've stepped us through it. You're explaining what we're doing here, right? So yeah. um, we're taking the column. We're setting that as the screen beginning. We're copying that into D. We're loading A with our new row. We're loading B with 32. We're then multiplying A times B. That comes up into D. And then we add the print position to that. We load that. We transfer that to X. Then we're loading A with our character for letter A. And then we're storing that into the X register, which got copied over from the D register, which was a multiple of the blah, blah, blah. So we've multiplied it. We've stuck it in here. We transferred it here. We're now going to take the letter A and we're going to stick it on that uh, number that was, you basically did a few steps to get it into the X register. And then poof, that's where it is on the screen. Right, that story, that's our poke right there. Right, story. Yeah. The I, I do want to mention one thing that this might be confusing for beginners too, is like, why do you have to do all this rigmarole and then put it into X? And, and that's because X is what's called an index register that's used to point to things. Uh, D, A, and B are called accumulators. They're more for doing math functions and stuff. So you can't store or load anything to an accumulator because it's meant to be a math function. So you have to move it to an index register. There's multiple ones on the 6809. X is the one we used here. There's also Y. You can also use U and S. But that's why you do the calculations, the math calculations in, in D. And then you move it with the transfer D to X instruction there. You move it to an index register, which means you can use it as a pointer to 
you know, parts of memory or whatever. And that's why we do that. You can't just do like a store A at comma D, for example. That doesn't so as, as, as another way to interpret that is that like, just, let's just say A, B, and D are kind of um, temporary things. There, well, he was, that was a very good point. There are accumulators. You can do your add, your subtract, your multiply, and all that is done in the D register. Okay. A, A, B, and D. If you want to point to something, you use X, Y, U to point to, to the various things, but because you can't do the addition and the multiplication in uh, index register. So, so when you did your math, that ended up in the D register, which you then transferred over to X. Because yes. X is the one that you can actually reference. You can't really. So it's almost like saying A and B is are is like your two numbers that you want to perform a function on. D is the result of that function. So that's how you get your answer. However, we can't just reference that answer. We have to transfer that to X where we can then reference it in X. Yeah, the, the various registers, and this is almost all CPUs have this until more recent ones, um, have specialty registers that are used for certain things. So index registers like X, Y, U, S, and U and S are also stack pointers. They can be used double duty either way. And then A, B, D are your accumulators. And that's similar to like a 6502, you have the one accumulator A, and you have X and Y, which are just basically 8-bit index registers. Um, then you get, you know, later on 68,000, you have generic, you know, address registers and data registers. So they're a bit more generic and you can do the same commands all over the place. But the older CPUs, the 8-bit CPUs especially, each register or each set of registers used to have very specific functions. You can only do certain things with certain types of registers and you couldn't do them with others. The 8088, like the old PCs, are very specialized. There's a ton of things where you can only do a 16-bit add to an 8-bit number if you use a specific register and the specific accumulator and you can't mix and match between them. The 689 is pretty good at being fairly generic with some of the stuff. It's better than most, but it still has some specialties. And accumulators are basically, that's A, B, and D, are basically for math type functions and then the x y us are for pointing to things like index registers you can do some math on those too with the lea instruction but uh but that's the reason what we do it here because most of the math point like the multiply command only works with a b and d it doesn't work with anything else whatsoever you can't do a multiply on any other register so okay. that's what we did there so, and so and some of the older like even on the uh, old ibm mainframes they had floating point registers you you didn't have to do it in software all the floating point was done in registers but they were specific registers that only performed that function period yeah right so a b and d are like the memory of a calculator you can't use it directly but you can use it in some other process okay is that kind of makes sense no yeah it's good enough it, it, it doesn't have to be over explained <laughs> yeah yeah i just did that already so <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's good that's good but remember our formula over here was just oh, hey, you forgot ibx yep the formula. yeah that's another specialty one yeah all right well let's uh why don't we load that uh, up let's do it And we'll execute it. Hey, put the A in the middle of the screen. So that's the result of the source code you just showed us. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So it, it looks the same. I mean, it, it, it performs right. the same function. Uh, if we would uh, look at the, the screen, it's going to be the very same thing. 
There's the letter A. Yeah. Here at wherever that was, it was 4E something. 4EE, I believe, was that basic program calculated there, and that's where it's at. Right, and 40 hex is 64, so 41 would be 65, which is the letter A, right? So 40, it says 40 would have been a space, 41 is the A, 42 is the B, yeah. and so on, right? So Yeah, and that's where you, people can refer to the chart that you showed last week, Steve. Right, right, up. right, because for people like me who've only programmed in BASIC and have only had to think in decimal systems, um, the kind of transitioning your thought process to hexadecimals is going to be a, a transition, but it's not an impossible one. Right. And I'll run the basic program again, because in the basic program, I've just printed the address out here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I like yeah, that I'm you... I'm trying to convert myself back to decimal for you, too. It's Yeah, well, no, it's good. It's good that you're showing us... Back. You're showing us both ways, and then the comments can show you both ways, too. Um, so... And the nice thing is the assemblers will handle both ways, too. So if you're used to decimal at the beginning, do stuff in decimal that is more comfortable. As George has mentioned, there's stuff you do later on in hex is just so much easier once you get used to how hex works. It's so much easier to do calculations and stuff like that. You'll start using hex yourself. But the assemblers will allow you to use both, so you can mix and match. If, if something's easy for you to understand in decimal than hex, then keep doing it that way. Yeah, and one thing, too, when we started up here, we put all these uh, values into the register and stored them in, in the variables, okay? That could be done, it's done and down here in the beginning of the program also. I declared it down here, this is a variable, and here's the value to put in it. So they were already in there. So you can do it that way also. And I put them in this way here so you get, because you're going to have to do that at some point in time, is is load your own variables up. But when you load them, okay, or declare them, I declared it with the, with the 1024, which is also the hex 400. Decimal. Yep. And the, the assembler automatically assumed that was a decimal number versus uh, hex one. Yeah, that's defined by when you put, like if you're doing an immediate mode, as it's called, where you do the number sign, the hashtag. Um, if you put a dollar sign after that, that means hex. Okay. Six, eight, nine. And if you don't, then it means decimal. So I argue this here at hex 1200. And there's the dollar sign. Okay. Right. But without the dollar sign, it's decimal. Gotcha. And where you have to hex, it really comes in if you ever have to debug something. And believe me, you will. Okay, so, so money. the the debug yeah, hex, hex is money, <laughs> Mark says, because <laughs> of the dollar sign, yeah. Okay, so the debugger cares not for decimal. So if when you are looking at a debug screen, you're only going to see hex. So at some point in time, you're going to have to be able to come to terms with that. Yes, you're going to have to. Yeah. I'll give you, give you an example here. I was, uh, this is part of like next week's. Uh-oh, spoiler uh, alert. Next week, where we're going to put more than you know three characters on the screen, okay? And I've made it into a subroutine, okay? And at some point down here in the subroutine, uh, I well, I'll show you another one. It's probably easier to to see in uh, this one here because I wrote it as in, in the, you know for i equals and j equals. I was trying to do it, which is really hard to do in uh, some. Oh, it's not hard, but it's just get confusing. But right here, this load A, this pound sign zero, mm -hmm. when I originally typed this in, I didn't put the pound sign on there, okay? Just a, a typo, okay? It's a whole different world, okay? <laughs> the zero, it's looking at position zero in the computer. It's not loading a zero, and it's looking whatever's at zero. Oh. And when I load the program in, zero had a zero in it, so it worked great. 
when I load the basic program in and say run, it's change position zero. Ah. I come back and run the assembler program, it would fail. It would just hang the machine. So you had to go through all, go through the code here and look at what's happening. And I happened to finally, after a while of cursing, and I finally found it. I had forgot that zero. So you will have to use hex someday. Yeah, yeah. So the, the main thing that I see here, and, and again, having all the comments is great, but it almost seems like in assembly, because assembly is, are basically little tiny things you do, it, it seems like your code is going to be a lot more taller than it is wider. <laughs> you know, like in, in, oh, in, yeah. in, in basic, yes. you can string together all these, you know, near English commands. And so one line can have a whole bunch of statements on one line. And, and so we're kind of used to cramming all that stuff together. We're thinking width wise, we're thinking, you know, we're thinking more on the X axis than the Y axis. And now in assembly, it's a bunch of sparse vertical commands where you have to do little things that, you know, at a time. So it almost seems like you're doing more code or more lines of code, but they're small little things. Yeah, um, that is precisely correct. <laughs> and in the basic program, I, I basically, I spaced it all out so it'd be easy to read and yeah. easy to talk yes. to as opposed to taking all the spaces out and all the comments and jamming right. down to where you can't and putting yeah. them all in one. Yeah. But even here, you can see this is with with uh, seven lines of comments. We're at 19 lines. So you're looking at 12 lines of basic code that could have been probably squeezed into one even. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Canadian Retro Thing says a 10 line game contest wouldn't work in assembly. <laughs> It'd be a pretty damn simple game. <laughs> uh, no. okay. It was supposed to be dash X hyphen X. Let's go through your command buffer and load that back up again. All right. I'm sorry. I was stopped. My son walked in. I was saying, what, would you, what did you need? No, I'm saying you, you missed. You hit an equal instead of a hyphen. But now it looks yeah. like you're missing the file here. I was going to show you that we could do it this way. There's the same program. <laughs> poke 1024 times 7 times 32 plus 14 right and so you're you're concatenating all of the math into one thing um ascii a one yes. line and, and there it is. right and so just so people know where you're coming up with the 7 and the 14 from these are approximates of the center yeah. of your so we have 32 characters so it'd be you know you because it's an even number you're never going to be exactly in the middle so 15 would be just yeah. to the left of metal, 16 would be just to the right of middle, and then 8 is kind of halfway down between the 16 lines. So 7, 14, same, same difference. It's close to the center um, of that. And so we're multiplying. Uh, we're, adding, we're adding to 1024, which is the starting position of the screen, the uh, multiple of 7 lines times 32 characters. That moves us down 7 lines, and then we're moving over 14 spaces from there. And so... Um, and then we're then poking in the ASCII value of A. Yes. Yeah. Yep. One line instead of the 11 lines. So that those 10, 11 lines were to break it down more assembly style where it was taller versus wider. <laughs> but this is the wide version in a single line, right? So. Yeah. And, yeah. and to be honest, I think that the assembly version is a bit easier to, to read because here you got to figure out where your parentheses are to figure out what order it's doing the multiplies and the adds. And 
yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily yeah, yeah, easier no, to understand. It is. It's, I, I just think as a basic programmer, we're not used to having to break down things into so many steps. So it looks like it's more work, but, but the assembler is doing these things much faster. So when you're just looking at the code uh, from the outside, it almost looks like, man, I got to do like 15 steps just to do one freaking thing on the screen. But it's happening so fast. But you're also dealing with the fact that this is how you have to talk to the chip. And this is how you have to get things out of the chip into memory. So yeah, this is called low level programming. Low you're, level you're talking programming. talking on the CPU's own. You know, yeah, yeah. So, um, and again, it's it's it becomes it's just a paradigm shift to what if you're a basic programmer like myself, what we're used to versus what we need to start learning how we have to unlearn or relearn a way of doing things. And in a way, if you can go back to your source code for a minute, George, even though it's still a little bit foreign to me, it 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 does make sense. Um, what you're doing. So just go, go back all the way to the top again. I mean, you, and your comments here are good. Um, you're explaining what you're doing. And unfortunately, for better or worse, this is what we have to do. We have to load things into registers before we can store them onto the screen because that's just what the processor needs, right? Um, yes. Now, eventually what you'll eventually end up doing, and you do this in basic to some extent too, is like, like go sub and return. Yeah. You use JSR or BSR and then RTS, which is the equivalent of a go subroutine. Jump subroutine. But you'll make these little routines like this that you are tall, as you put it. Yeah. And then you'll pass it a few things, like you'll come into the routine with A being a character I want to print and B being you know the line number I want to print on or something like that. And the routine would do all these calculations. You don't have to type of that in once. And then you keep calling it. So if you're printing six lines of text on the screen or six characters up on the screen, you would just you know load the character you want, store it in the, the character... Uh, sell it he you find and then just call the routine so you yeah. could either store it in a variable or even load it into one of your registers right yeah. so a b or yeah. d and or you whatever. just call the subroutine and, and that then routine would, do that that routine would either pull it from a variable or from a register yeah right and, and that way the, your code doesn't end up being like 40 screens high to write 10 characters on the screen because you only do that routine once right same as you right, would right. Yeah, just like in basic yeah you wouldn't want to repeat that same thing right so the jsr jump subroutine is a similar thing to the go sub and return R RTS is like return. Mm -hmm. It's return from subroutine. That's what it stands for. And then JSR jump to subroutine, which is you know, like a go sub. So, so I would say, and again, I know I'm only speaking for myself. And if there's somebody out there again, who's a super, super beginner, this may even still seem confusing, but honestly, I'm going to agree with you, George. We, it's, you, you kind of can't simplify it any more than this as far as how you've explained it how you've commented and how you're going through the walkthrough with us right now so i guess my suggestion would be to anybody who's watching right now do you guys have questions and, and we're not going to make this a long in-depth technical discussion on the live stream but you can continue those questions and, and discussions in the discord channel um so anybody on the panel or anybody live right now have a question on what he's doing to set things up to put the um letter a nearly center on screen anyone anyone <laughs> yeah i also do want to mention because uh, I, I think there was a little bit of confusion <clears throat> like simon i know you joined in and, and you you went into like optimizing it and stuff and i just want to emphasize that th this series is not so much for that that should be like a separate topic and maybe we should do a series on optimizing for the more advanced programmers that want to learn how to do that kind of stuff too that's not a bad idea but in this case here we're trying to go for absolute beginners with easy to understand concepts so doing a fancier way of, of making it you know more efficient or smaller or whatever is not really the primary purpose of this this series it's just to teach the concepts and kind of understand how how it works the first one i presented was very 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 simple yeah 
Yeah, it was, but then it kind of got into like who can make the fastest cycle count. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it took off. It took off. Yeah, because I was fine. watching some other people were asking me about that, and they're going, "I don't even understand this discussion they're having." So it kind of yeah. lost the purpose of being beginner. Yeah, well, that's fine. It would, it would be kind of fun to see how big line ten unrolls to when basic is done actually creating the instructions for the oh basic would be huge because it's using floating point for all that stuff too so it's five <laughs> bytes of variable like the listing <laughs> exponents and all kinds of crap in there so yeah but luckily we do have you know there's, there's a ton of people who do have assembly uh, experience and somebody like simon who's a guru at it so we have these resources so if you do have questions you you can certainly ask those i would just ask though the people who are asking certain questions in the george assembly channel try to keep the topic to relative to where we are in the show where let's not get too yeah. far ahead of what we've covered on the show and if it's going to need to get more in depth then just take it over to the normal assembly channel um, and then have, you yeah. know, have at it. But we do have lots of people, luckily like Simon and other people who are, have all this knowledge they're willing to share. So we, we don't want to discourage people from sharing because that's a great thing and we appreciate that. But we also kind of want to just keep that one channel slightly on topic with where the series is so we don't get too far ahead. And Yeah, um, it's meant to be a beginner's thing, that yeah, particular yeah. one. Now, now Simon and, and, and Nick and maybe myself, I don't know if I'm quite up to their level, but I mean, if you want to, if you know some assembly and you just want to learn how to you know, make a routine faster, more efficient, we'll be happy to answer those questions at the assembly channel, but we want to keep this one focused on the beginning. Yeah, I thought the discussion was good, but like you say, it, uh, I could do it in two notes or I could do it in three notes is, is not where we're trying to go. Yeah. Uh, that's why what we did today was, is, that's about as basic as you can get right there. Okay, just printing one character on the screen. Uh, I, and I put in my, uh, here, assignment, okay? Now that you've got your feet wet, you need to you need to actually code something yourself. Right, you right. Book and read everything I do or whatever somebody else does. I'll put down an assignment, okay? You got this basic program, and I will put out, well, I'll put out the assembler language program too. Change that program to print three characters on the screen. I put some rows, some do whatever you want. Just calculate an address. Just don't say poke it at such and such a place. Actually calculate. Right, right, right. So we would take that similar format that you started with and just change some of the offsets, um, change some of the variables from the seven to fourteen yeah. to the three by ten or whatever the case may be. Is what that's looking like. Um, uh, Right. And that's been something I've been wanting to do for the past few weeks is to sit down and, and start doing some of my own examples of this. And of course, work and everything else have been um, getting it in my way. Like okay. So there's your A in the middle and your X and your dollar sign. Those are the symbols you picked, but people can pick whatever symbol they want. Um, yep. Whatever symbol you identify as. Um, and then this is our character print. This would be the basic one. And this is where you'd be doing your multiply 1024 plus whatever times 32 plus whatever. Okay, there's our spots. Yeah, so these are the screen locations, uh, the hex values of those. Um, so what, what George has done, Sean, here is he's shown you the results, and this is what you're trying to shoot for to do it on your own. Without right, yeah, but we got to. But rather than knowing what the answer, is, it's it's kind of like showing your work when the teachers would say no, when you're doing no. your math, show us your work. Don't just tell me the answer is 45. Show me the longhand how you got to that 45. Right, so. Um, because here's the ba you know, here's the basic program. If you notice on out, it's got a go sub in there. You can figure it out in your own. Okay, as opposed to just starting here and ending up way down here with you know repeating. 
I put a, a put a subroutine in there. So okay. so you could pass some. Um, you could like let's say load A and B with these things, and then uh, run the multiply to get it in D. Transfer that over to X, and then store that onto the position where you want to go, right, or something like that. Similar to what you did here before. Yep. Okay. Yep. And feel free to ask questions in the um, right. The and so and have. so and then the other thing too is and I, and again I'm not, I don't want to sound like I don't appreciate or uh, the the help we have from so many people out there and I don't want to discourage people from helping, but what I would try to do is to ask the people who already know how to do this not give away the answers because it's like we want people to try to figure this out. So if you just show this is the way you can do it, you've kind of denied somebody like me the opportunity to try to beat my head against a wall a few times and figure it out. So I I myself would prefer not to see. A screenshot of what the code needs to be because I want to kind of learn it so uh, hopefully I'm not offending anybody by asking that but it's kind of want to set some some parameters for for that one channel that if we if we'd be too helpful we're kind of like putting defeating you know the purpose. yeah defeating the purpose yeah. of the struggle of trying to figure this stuff out um, you're just but, giving somebody a, a, something to type in at that point yeah yeah no. but now. but I'm again just based on the little bit I learned from this one lesson here George I, I've already in my mind have a fairly good idea on what I would need to do to do the three examples so I will try to accept that challenge this week George just for you yeah, and, and if you look at what we did over here like I said we could have defined all we defined all these variables down here put the correct value in there but up here, I, I loaded them in there. There was a reason for that because this fits in perfect with the assignment. With the assignment where we would just change the load A from 7 and 14 just to whatever else you asked us to do. Right. Change yeah. them and then go someplace and recalculate. Okay, that's, that's it. You know, and, that's, and there's no wrong way to do it. It could be a subroutine or you could just write it out three different times as three different sets of groups of instructions too, right? Yes, but I would suggest to do a subroutine, okay, because that's what normally that, that's do. That's the smarter way to do it. Well, I, that's how in the uh, uh, the basic program that I did. Oh, because you did a go sub. Okay, so we're trying we're trying to mimic what we're doing in basic completely here. Yes, I mean do do whichever way you want. You can start here and end up way down there, one long string of code, or you could have a subroutine in there, which is the preferred yeah. method. And, and when we when we get to next week to to review the assignment, we'll kind of explain that there's some advantages and disadvantages to both ways, and maybe kind of give you know because some people might go, well, why the heck would you never use a subroutine to do this. There is some reasons why, and we'll, we'll go through that next week. Is that well, right? One of my favorite expressions with all the programmers I had working for me so many years was, if you don't know where you're going, any road to get you there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing with coding. If you don't have a, if you don't have an end goal, just sit down and start coding. You don't know where, you yeah, know, it's, it's, yeah. it's fine. It's, you can do it any way you want to. But you need to have a, a, a goal to set a goal. Right. When I started by last year with the COVID thing, and I started piddling around with the color computer again. I had no goal. I just wanted to piddle with something. So I started piddling. Well, I've got some code out there now, and it's really neat code, but it's a mess because I, had to, <laughs> I, went and go back. I, I coded this routine for a pop up window. Then I went and I added these other DLL link libraries out on these other memory blocks. Well, then I had to come back and try to get them to co-mingle out there and then I changed it again so I had to go back and each time I had to go back in and change all these routines to where they all use the same pages the same memory because I didn't have a map I just I'm just coding I was, I was having fun right but you don't, don't know where you're going any road to get you there right excellent uh, well have we done enough have we beat this one to death enough I, I think so unless think there's so. other questions any questions from the panel or the the audience on this 
Last call for questions while we're live, but the questions are free and answers are reasonably priced on Discord. Uh, going once, going twice. Okay, sold. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to put a fork in uh, in that segment. And thank you, George, for doing it. And thank you, everyone else who's um, here. And thank you, Simon, for your help in the Assembly Channel. And, and, and Simon's been a mentor to generations of young aspiring coco coders now for for decades including so, one of our guests in the chat right now yeah paul, paul thayer. thayer paul thayer for um so thank you everybody for all of your knowledge and willing to share that knowledge paul also says we should we should veer from using the word piddle are you saying you don't like the word piddle there paul <laughs> <laughs> listen you uh, to each their own well, give, us an, give us another word to use and we'll use it yeah, so I, I like to, I like to term fiddling the bits. Every now and then we need to fiddle the bits, <laughs> piddle or fiddle. Um, all one, right. One our last parting thought, sir. Actually, sit down and code this, guys. Sit down there and code it, okay? And if you get it where it works with three characters, say, "Huh, I understand that." Let me put twelve characters on the screen. Hold you know, once you do a subroutine, if you just change variables, you know, you just it, that's the only way you're ever going to learn. You're right. Talk Feel Anybody free to piddle as far as you want to piddle. And when you're done, just so you know, the, the past tense of piddling is paddling. So when you have done piddling, all you can piddle, you will have paddled. Um, there because we the, go. Program I've got, the program I've got for down the line is print character screen number five. We'll print the whole screen and do clear screens all with that calculation. Yeah. Same, same calculations, we'll be able to clear screens and load the screen up. So that's coming down the road. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right. Well, we're going to um, thank you, George. Thank you, everyone. We're gonna we're just gonna keep the train going now at this point. And um, the next thing we're gonna do will be uh, L. Curtis Boyle in the news and the Game On news and all that good stuff. Is that correct, L. Curtis? Sure. Which order would you like them in? Um, I, since you're doing it, I'm going to say you do it however you want to do it. Let me just go ahead and I'll cue the intro. You can go ahead and start screen sharing if you want. And when I say go Curtis Boyle, you know that it's, it's your time to go. So here we go. Starting with the infographic and start sharing your screen now if you want, Curtis. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with L. Curtis Boyle. All right, Curtis, we can see your screen. We can see the panel. Um, and take it away. Okay, so I'm going to do the Game On News first since we already had the Game On segment. And, uh, of course, we have our weekly Jim Gary updates. So this week he put up a couple of 10-liner basic programs, and we he's done that a few times in the last few weeks here. Of course, the contest is already over, so we entered I don't know how many billions of times. Uh, so this one here is called PackRat, and it's based on an APF imagination machine, which is a computer that predates the Coco that he actually has done a few conversions from. Um, so I'll just start playing this. And basically the goal on this one is to set up uh, or to get up to 30 pieces of cheese as fast as possible while maneuvering through the maze. And uh, you basically have an internal timer, so you may not get them all by the time the game ends. Uh, so you have to try to do it as quick as possible. So this oh, first level is pretty pretty simple. There's one. No, the one means you've finished level one, of course. Oh, oh, okay. So it's just one piece of cheese per level. Yeah. Okay. 
But since you have, I, I can't remember if it's based on time or if it's based on how many moves you use, but basically there's a finite amount, so you may not get them if you take too long of a route. Or... Right, so, so something's counting, and once you've reached the end of that count, then you're done. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, almost a speedrun style game, Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's a very Pac-Man-ish style maze. It's hard to believe this is in 10 lines. Yeah, I don't think you'd be able to do this in 10 lines of assembly, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a pretty pretty cool little it game. It is. I like it. Using the, you know, a combination of colors we don't see too often. <laughs> yeah. And or, orange and yellow. It's right? still better than Puyant, but Oh, absolutely. But they look good. <laughs> and the second 10-liner he did is called Jumping Jack. Now, this one, he actually put up two videos this week. He had his initial one, then he did another one where he did some minor changes to it. And um, as it mentions here, it's another 10-liner for the 10-liner contest. <clears throat> this game was inspired by a game on the Spectrum. Um, and this the 10-liner contest had several levels of, of uh, that you could enter your contest programs into. And they're based on the restrictions of the line length. So in this particular case, this was set up for a 72-character maximum per line, which you can see in line 11 at the top there. He's counted out 72 characters, so he knows where to quit. And they also have like options for 256 characters and then you can super pack lines with up to a K or whatever too. So there's different categories that you could qualify for. This is one of the easier early ones. So this one here is using his famous XY character animation for uh, running around. Wait for it. Oh. So is this like kind of get through the moving maze type thing? Now yeah, that, that while not was... getting hit by things. Right. So he's got to find an opening to get up. Oh, you can wrap. Oh. Yeah, you can wrap. Okay. It's Frogger light. And of course, if you stay over a hole, you'll fall down. So. Oh, oh, interesting. Gravity. And do you move with it or do you have to make yourself move? You have to make yourself move. So if you don't move, you'll, you'll actually eventually fall off as the opening falls out. And you have to try to navigate your way up, dodging objects, maneuvering between the, the open parts Ouch. as they move around in opposite directions and uh, make your way to the top. Yeah, I like this. Not bad for 10 lines. Though. Yeah. And avoiding the arrows and you, uh, you wrap around the screen. Simplicity at its finest, make it to the top and then make it out. Boom. I like it. Cool. Yeah, it's another nice, cool little game by... It, it, these things are inspiring <laughs> so we talked about Stefan earlier <clears throat> he's going to be on the show in two weeks to talk about this game so hibernated one is a game based on the infocom engine and he just released the dragon and coco versions just a week ago basically just after we uh announced on the show so that puts them up to i don't know 26 or something now some of the games here have splash screens when you load them up and some are just straight text and he's got versions for, well, here's here's a list of all the systems it supports. Which is a lot of the, the UK European ones, some of the, the you know American ones, modern PCs. <clears throat> and you can also use a Z machine interpreters of your choice. You can get that, which is the Infocom engine, what, what it's called. And you can get those for modern machines and you can just load the data files and run from there, plus you have the specific ones. Now, I'm, I'm going to be working with him to see, like, right now the Dragon version and the Coco version basically just comes up, you know, a standard Infocom with the invert video on the top, you know, little status line type thing. Um, but the Spectrum 
the original Spectrum actually uses the same graphics mode and as the Coco and the Dragon do for P mode four, except they have this extra color tile byte thing that gets added on, which is where you get that color clash thing. And the reason that Parasurat, if you remember the HD engine for the Spectrum mm -hmm. that Parasurat converted, and then all of a sudden we had 212 games, whatever it's up to now, um, you should be able to do the same thing to convert the Spectrum graphics to black and white. And I'm trying to remember where the Spectrum one is. Yeah, this one here, I think. Um, is the okay. Spectrum version with the color thing. So I'm going to write a little program form to basically just strip it out, reorder because it, it does it in a weird interlaced format like the Apple II does. And then I'll just have it so we can convert this to a black and white image. And then the Dragon and the Coco version should have a nice splash screen just like the uh, Spectrum does. It'll just be in black and white. Okay. But uh, right now you can get this game for free. You, you can give a donation to, I mean, this is on itch.io, so it's basically pay what you want is how he's got it set up. So if you want to get it for free, he is encouraging people to go download the game and try it over the next two weeks. So that when we interview him in two weeks, if anybody has questions specifically about the gameplay or, you know, the adventure game itself, because he wrote this on his own, not just the code, but the actual um, you know story, et cetera, that he wouldn't mind having a few people actually try it out first and then they can ask him questions during the show. So we encourage people to go get it. And if you're a collector, he will be doing the professional boxing and packaging version of it in August. That will be sold. Oh, look at the Mac Classic this. version of that. That looks cool. Yeah, yeah. CPM version he's got. Um, I think one of these is the Atari. Atari and Commodore. Yeah. There's the Apple II version there. I'm sure Mark would recognize that. <laughs> and then some other ones I don't even know what the heck they are. Like this one, I'm not sure what this is. That could be a, that looks like a te like, Texas like Instruments, Atari. Texas Instruments. Atari, one. Yeah, it could be. I like the different uh, splash screens for the different platforms. They look kind of cool. The um, CPM, that, DOS, that you know. Puddle software logo reminds me of uh, a, a game uh, like, like Ocean Software from years ago. Ocean Software Before, used to make stuff. Well, there's a bit of a funny story on that because this he was part of a group called Pond Software first, ah. which is a larger oh, group. Oh, so Ocean went to Pond, which is going. Well, I don't know if it's related to Ocean again. directly. It so might have just been a play, a, but it's basically, a, it's a downsizing it of the body yeah. of water. Okay, it it's, is. It's, I asked him specifically about that. So in the uh, interactive fiction channel on Discord, there was some discussion about it. So I'm like, yeah, I like the uh, take on the Ocean logo, and he went through the. Yeah. evolution or, or the, the yeah the de the devolution yeah so <laughs> yeah because some people basically you know quit doing work with pond so then the few survivors made puddle the smaller part of pond yeah though apparently they're still holding hope that pond itself will return at, at mm. some point eventually it will be thimble software um, <laughs> yeah. it'll be, down it'll to, be like it'll a, a spoonful or something dribble software <laughs> um raindrop so. software <laughs> <laughs> so here's all your various downloads for the Coco yeah. and Here's Dragon. the official release, 7, and so is the Coco and Dragon 64 from five days ago. So that's when it officially got released for electronic download. Download, mm -hmm. name your own price. The collector, I don't know if he's announced the price yet. He might do that on the show on uh, in two weeks' time, uh, which has very professionally done box art that is made in the style of the original Infocon game. So actually, if you have Infocon games on your shelf and put it beside it, it'll look like it belongs. Nice. What's it written in? In Form 6. Which is an Infocom development. Yeah. And right. he's got a custom library called Puny Inform that is uh, a little bit more 8-bit friendly than the full-blown Inform compiling result. So uh, the Inform language can call a library of stuff, and the default Inform library is fairly large. 
So he's using a cut down one, but the, the informed version six is the language that he wrote it in. Uh, and that was originally reverse engineered from trying to get the, uh, the Z machines native language without any of their source code available. So it was purely black box reverse engineered. And then later on, once the source became available, they, they, they still maintain their own separate languages, but they are far more compatible with moving back and forth than they used to be. Yeah. And he's, um, he's mentioned too, that he's actually got a, an, a, a script that he runs and actually will generate all 25 versions of it in about five seconds. Oh my God. Based on the same file. That's insane. That's how far we've come in 30 years. Yeah. And um, there was a really cool little thing that dropped on the Discord about this. Uh, Mark Blank, one of the founders of Infocom, has seen Hibernated One and, and what's going on and uh, had some really nice things to say about it on Twitter, which got screenshotted and shared around. That's cool. Yeah, and actually, I mean, Stefan has actually won some awards too, like Crash Magazine in the UK, which I, is that the Spectrum Magazine? I remember which one's which here. But he actually, one of his previous uh, ones he did in 2018 actually had won one of the, the best games of the year type things. So he's been getting a, a pretty good bit of hype here from various people, including like Mark, as you mentioned. Um, anyway, I'm looking really looking forward to the interview. Um, see what he thinks about the Dragon yeah, and the Coco. He's talking to, about uh... doing a Coco 3 version with, you know, the 4080 columns like some of these other screenshots do. Or even the Coco VJ. I mentioned uh, when we did our brief little uh, audio video test with him earlier just to make sure the mic and stuff was all working. Uh, we mentioned that uh, you know Ed Snyder has made a Coco VJ 64 by 32 column version of the Infocom with upper and lowercase, so he could actually make a version for that too. So we'll have to get them all in contact with each other. Yeah. Anyway, two nice weeks. Do, it'd be nice to do the uh, the Mac type display for the Coco. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's black and white. Yeah. Mode four. Yeah, yeah you could. Looks, yeah. You could just do a different uh, output routine, so it throws text to a. Well, simulated window. It doesn't have to be real windows, but... Yep, you could even make a Nitro 9 version, which actually does have real windows. Yeah, windows, which so. does have windows. But I mean, having you know, the gadgets and all that, so it does look Mac-like. Because the others look pretty bland, you know. Yeah, the Mac one looks kind of slick. Yeah, But the, yeah, the, the Mac one looks slick. And really, on the even the Coco 1, all the Cocos, and probably all the computers, you could do a, a Mac-like screen, which looks a lot more presentable. Yeah, the uh, kit also comes with the Z3 and Z5 files that you can load into a existing other interpreters. So it may be possible, I haven't done it yet, but it may be possible to pretty easily load the hibernated one Z file right into the Nitrous 9 player. Yeah, or Ed Snyder's Coco VGA player. Or the Coco VGA player, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of potential here. And like I said, I'm going to get him a little utility to do the splash screen off the spectrum. He's got some pretty good graphic artists, like some of these other splash screens. He's got different yeah. artists for different platforms. Yeah. They did some pretty, like pretty really cool good. artwork on some of these. Really good. When, when does the splash screens come up? Probably Just when you when first it's start it. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a start of the screen, oh, the game, right, yeah. Yeah. It teases you with graphics, and then it goes back to the, yeah, and then and it goes the graphics back of the text, mind. Yeah. I was wondering. I said, like, Where, where's <laughs> the graphics come in? <laughs> okay. Cool. Now, I will mention just just as a brief preview, he's actually done some other games here too. And this one here, the Curse of Rabenstein or Steen, this is a graphical adventure game, so it's not using the Infocom Split one screen. Games. Okay. Yeah, and this is on far fewer platforms, a bit more modern for the most part, like the ST and the Amiga and DOS. 
Um, but it's also the C64 and others. And this kind of stuff we could definitely do in a Coco 3 fairly easy, too. So, we'll, you know, talking yeah. about that in the future, too. Puddle. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up. The Laird's Lair. We've covered them before. They've done these comparison videos where they do all four platforms for a particular game. And then they have the graphics running simultaneously. So you can kind of literally compare them side by side. But then they take the audio and they keep switching between so you can hear what the game sounds like in each platform. Okay. So in this case, they did Demon Attack between the Atari 8-bit, the Coco, oh, wow. C64, and that. the TNN 4A. Look at how similar they look on the whole moon and play. obviously a little bit more color, uh, especially on the C64. Yeah, I have to say the Atari 8-bit is a bit of a disappointing version. There's no boss monster like all the other versions have. And it's like basically a, the Atari 2600 version ported to the 8-bit and they stopped. <laughs> that title screen looks like somebody got their five-year-old to do it with crayon. <laughs> <laughs> and he was uh, riding a bus that was going over a bumpy road. <laughs> Demon. <of> th- <laughs> what an interesting thing here, like you heard dead silence for the Atari version. Well, I don't hear anything. The oh, there's no, there's no sound right now, right? Because it's yeah, on. And the, our, ours didn't have any sound on the demo screen either. C64 version didn't have any demo sound, but the TI-91 one actually did. I wouldn't say it's good. Oh, music. Okay, yeah. So I'm not sure why just the TI... I mean, the C64 had the SID chip, and the Atari has a pretty decent sound chip, too. I don't know why they didn't bother, but... Oh, yeah, that is totally the 2600 version. It's completely the 2600 version on the Atari. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a bit disappointing because yeah. it was so capable of so much more. You I don't put know why zero effort into this. <laughs> yeah, just... See, I like the C64. It's the most colorful one. Look at the shades on the planet and everything back there. Yep. Wait till you get to the Coco and hear the sound on that, man. Oh, man, boy, you'd be blown away. Uh, <laughs> the explosions sounds are slightly better. Listen to that Coco sound. It's like crickets having sex. <laughs> I think this year we should say cicadas instead. Uh, listen to that. Squeak. There you can see the C64 uh, boss monster yeah. on the water left. Yeah. Yeah, the C64, like the planets are changing palette colors too as you progress. Okay. C64 sounds. No, that's okay. There's an ad. All right. Did anybody else's ad things break for YouTube? Because that just happened to me recently. They no longer block for some stupid reason. I'm not sure I'm crazy about the sounds on the C64, though. No, actually, the comment section basically said the same thing. And the, There's the TI's uh, boss monsters. Oh, okay, different. Interesting, though. You don't yeah. have a lot of room. The, the TI actually had very big sprites compared to the yeah. other ones, too. The thing about Ouch. the TI was you couldn't develop TI software on the TI. You needed a development system, which was like 10 grand or something. So the software looked good because there was a much nicer computer writing it. Mm. Yep. Don't like now, the sound of the TI-99 one isn't all that hot either, to be honest. Sounds like this is the voice trip's kicking in. Yeah, it does. All right, let's, let's but mute. the firing stuff is all like musical notes. It doesn't really. Yeah, let's mute properly. mute it all because my ears are bleeding. Um, <laughs> I would say that the Commodore has my vote for the best looking 
Um, actually, the Atari 8-bit is the least annoying with its sounds. The other ones, the sounds get to be really, really annoying. And I think the Coco version is solid. It's just limited by the number of colors they could do on, uh, you know, the P-Mode 4 screen. Yeah, I was reading some of the comments below, and actually some people said that the the boss monster out of all of them looks the best on the Coco. Interesting. kind of surprised me. I mean, people like the TI-99 one because it had the biggest sprites. So it was a bit more visually impressive. Everybody was disappointed with the Atari 8-bit in that they basically just took the 2600 version. Yeah, I think the sound it. effects might be slightly better on it, but other than that, they didn't do much. Yeah, and there's no boss monster. They didn't even bother with that. They yeah. just left it, you know, infinite, just cycle yeah. through killing things. But I so. think C64 gets the gets the 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 visual, the best visual version as far as color sets and you know, changing the palettes of the planet and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, as far as the monster shapes, I, I, it's between the C64 and the TI for me because the TI does have more interesting and more unique sprites. They're kind of the goofy looking though. Almost yeah. like cartoony, you know, kind of silly, goofy things. I'm like, really? Am I supposed to fear you? You, you look kind of silly. You look half simple. <laughs> um, that's cool, though. That's that's a, that's a really good uh, format there to put everything side by side where you can see them all and then kind of selectively move the sound. Yeah, um, that's actually my favorite part because I've seen some other people attempt to do the side by side with the sound running simultaneously. And it's like, yeah, how are you supposed to know? Mess. Yeah. It's like listening to you try to sing. It's, ah, it's terrible. So. Really? Hey, I could play the ukulele, too. <laughs> oh, so. Wrote a song about it. You want to hear it? <laughs> Where's that mute button again? Yeah, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Ooh. Hey, next up. We, we covered this a long time ago because they were doing some raw gameplay footage in preparation for this, and it's kind of a video series. And it's kind of done in an interesting way. So they're, it, it's kind of like got this fake story behind it where this guy's been kidnapped by aliens and he has to review the all the game worst games in the world type thing. Kind of like Mystery it. Science Theater? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah. So I won't play the whole thing because it's seven minutes, but he goes for Poltergeist, mentions he played it as a youth. But I'll play the intro so you can kind of get that feel for what the channel, how it that sets this up. Sound Blaster ad-lib music here. game box through the electro slot in my cell but this time was different okay maybe excited isn't the right word first though a little backstory some kids of my generation had home computers but usually everyone you knew had a completely different machine my unique neighborhood computer was the trs-80 color computer and even though i did most of my gaming on atari consoles i did have a couple of cartridges for the coco as it's affectionately known one of them is the subject for this episode, and boy, is it something. Number 17,935 on the list is Poltergeist for the Radio Shack Color Computer. Thanks, aliens. Thanks. <laughs> Take me to your leaderboard. I like that. <laughs> I'm not actually sure why I had this game. I can only assume it was because I love Poltergeist and must have pestered someone in my family to gift it to me. As a result, I played it all the time and seemed to recall being awfully frustrated by it. It wasn't cheap either. This was 35 bucks in 1983 money. Also, this catalog description, while brilliantly written, further fuels the Steven Spielberg-directed Poltergeist controversy. I wonder if anyone I used to know is on dumb 1980s conspiracies duty. Hey, aliens, can you, uh, can you send this blurb to whoever is... Well, okay then, thanks. Before I get into the game itself, though, I need you to see the god-awful joystick controller we had to use with the <laughs> You think the Atari 5200 God-awful. Oh, no. 
look at this garbage thing. Just wow. wherever you leave <laughs> Really it. selling it, 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 huh? It has this one yep. button that sometimes just fall right out of its butt. It's button. got a metal one, it's too. It's trash. Yeah. Not that this David Cronenberg fleshy controller thing the aliens have me using is any better, but whatever. <laughs> I'd love to hear some history about the development of this game, but most Tandy games, as I recall, don't... Oh, there's some TDP 100. See the blue box there? nothing on the cart, yep. there are no names in the manual, and none on the program itself. Color scripts it would be great to interview see, the recognize him? It, get some insight, but yeah. I wouldn't even know where to start. Rick. So let's just say... Yeah, that was Rick Adams, so he was trying to figure out who had written the game. Rick Adams did not write this game, yeah. obviously. I'm 99% nah. sure it was Robert Arnstein. But I can't prove that because I can't get all of them. This is um, an alternate universe of JT and Fletcher there we saw for okay. a yeah, second. So, yeah, yeah. Young, fine. Younger version. Yeah. This first level, now, I had this down to an exact science. Although, as you'll see, some of that knowledge has clearly left my brain. I obviously didn't know about the hold the joystick button to cheat part of this either. I wonder if he's using VCC or something. These artifacts yeah, sound like that could be. Collecting the five items Tangina has requested. You know, all the things they throw into the closet that then reemerge from the downstairs ceiling, covered in bloody chunks of goo. The game makes constant fart noises at you, and cars not obeying any traffic laws whatsoever. No, that's our sound chip. <laughs> I thought that was David Ladd after Taco Bell. <laughs> So, <laughs> hey, I'll, let, I'll let you guys watch the video on your own time. I just okay. wanted to give the intro because he has this whole Funny. backstory to the, how, how they do their videos, which I thought was kind of cool. That is that's clever. It, it's interesting that the uh, ad, the, the, the Tandy catalog ad, did the had all fake colors. Yeah. The colors are nothing like that in the real game. Because, yeah, they had to basically have somebody paint it because they couldn't. Yeah. They, if they took a picture, it looked like crap. Like a photograph of a TV screen would just look crappy, right? Thank so. God. Yeah. <laughs> So he doesn't actually win the game, though he does mention he did do it in his youth, so he actually tells you properly what, what happens when you win the game type thing. But uh, it's, it's an interesting way to do reviews. I like yeah, the whole yeah, the Mystery whole, Science uh, Theater style yeah, thing there. I'm, uh, I'm trapped in the space dungeon forced to play bad video games, right? So. Yeah, and, the, and that you know weird alien voice he talks to it a few times during the episode type thing. You know, so. There's a lot of good humor in it. I really like the presentation. Next up, uh, Amigo Aaron there did a stream last Friday, I believe it was, and he was kind of catching up. So they have game challenges on some of the platforms they support in their shows, too. And, of course, they sometimes take uh, part in our own Coco one. So he actually was catching up on the Amigo one. He was catching up on the Spectrum one. Uh, I think he might have even done the Atari 8-bit one. And then he, he played a little bit of Temple of Rom as well. And then he just started playing some random games to be different. He was playing and doing a stream yesterday of, of, of basically viewer requests. But then his uh, video capture board died, so he ordered one and won't be here till Sunday. So he didn't do any streaming. But cartridge, Temple of Rom. Ah, huzzah! Do we see it? There we We're go. We're in, gentlemen. Hey. Now this is running on the Mister. He he's gotten a Mister recently. Ah. He's been really oh, playing so it a lot with a ton of these platforms. I don't remember the the background being solid white. Oh, is that just because that's the border? The rest of the border's not here. Yeah. So. Gotcha. This is a neat game, I believe. When we did an episode on this, I believe uh, the author actually commented on the episode, as I recall. So I yeah, like, and we just had a picture of him in his youth. Too. All right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you watch that if you want to watch it. He, he covers various systems on it, but uh, he does these Friday night streams just about every week. And there's usually a viewer request section in the middle of it. So sometimes he has a theme, like a certain system or whatever. And then other times it's just... A well, I've said this before. I'll say it again. One of the greatest space adventure games ever made for the color computer there, Temple of Rom. So. Obviously. <laughs> Interesting. The uh, sticker in the bottom right, it's got boat. 
T-shirt in clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Boat's name on there. Yeah. Right? yeah. Cool. So anyway, those those streams are a lot of fun. He interacts with the chat, you know, just like we do in our show too. Um, so it's 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 pretty fun. But yeah, taking viewer requests, Frodo's good at that too. He does his uh, normally a Saturday morning stream is viewer requests on any platform he's got on his Mister, and he's got dozens. So neat. I go in there and occasionally pepper them for cocoa stuff. Okay, <clears throat> next up, Richard Kelly. Now, this is not a game he wrote. He's done quite a few games that he's written. Uh, this is actually a breakout game from TND Software, issue number 24, so fairly early on in TND's life, which was a tape magazine for the Coco. And it's a breakout game written in basic. Now, one thing he mentioned on this one, he quite liked it because it went a little bit extra. Like most of the basic breakout games just add, you know, here's the ball, here's your battle, here's the walls to hit, bounce the ball back and forth. This actually had stuff like attract modes where it would actually play by itself, you know, waiting for you to start the game. Um, some other little effects and stuff that were in there. Um, so he kind of highly recommends it here. He does a few quick little screenshots. Um, I've not played this particular version. I didn't get a chance to before the show, but I'll have to give it a shot just to see, you know, what all extra niceties they put in the game that you don't normally see in a quick basic program. Anyway, you can download it directly on Facebook. And I also believe you can get the TND software issue number 24 in the Color Computer Archive, which will have this game amongst everything else they had in that particular tape that month. Gwyn Major actually added a new Play Now feature um, to much more games. He had kind of experimented with this before. There's a few games that you could actually click on the Play Now button on the right, and it would fire over to XROAR Online that Kieran wrote and actually play the game in your browser. Now, we have discovered a few of us that the Safari browser does not work with this. It'll take you to the page, fire up the emulator, but it won't actually auto-launch the game you selected from the archive. <clears throat> but it works fine on Chrome, so it seems to be probably some, you know, privacy restriction thing that Apple's pulling off there. Um, but he's added a ton of them. So there's educational stuff and games. Now, these are all cassette-based games. There's no disc-based game supported currently at this point. So that limits it to only you know, around 900 plus. Oh, what um, a shame. What a shame. Yeah, it's just terrible. So Almost as much the... as you have on your website right now, right, Curtis? So... <laughs> Way more, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I only got like, what, five, 600 something? That was intentional irony. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. Anyway, if you take a look, like here's the cassette games you can see here in alphabetical order. And if and anything has a play, play now, now button. button, yeah, yeah, cool. You can just hit it. Now, I won't, I'm running Safari right now, so I won't click on it, but you can just click it and it just fires up the browser. And, and that's awesome. Thank you, and Guillaume, and thank you, Karen, for bringing that. Yeah. And I think there's some uh, Dragon exclusives in here, too. So there you can probably play a few of those as well. This is uh, EOU for launching Cocoa Software. Yeah, basically. I can't wait till he gets a disc one because some of the better games require disc, and that's the one thing that this doesn't do yet at this point. Though so his online emulator does support disc, so I think it just has to you know, be tweaked to handle it. And the three means it's a Coco three, and then some of them show that it's a semi graphics. You have a little kind of. Yeah, he's got those. Now, though, the games that are playing on here, XWare only supports Coco one and two and yeah. right now, so that's yeah. all you can play on that particular one. <clears throat> Next up, we've got. Um, Cuthbert Dragon, who's, you know, the last few weeks I haven't covered any of this stuff. There's a lot of games that we've seen before from the Dragon. This is Window Reflection Guy. I can see the stripe already. Yep, yeah. you can see his little blinds there. Yeah. So I have shown Stone Raider 2 before. Can we, which is can a, we take up a, um, a donation to get him a curtain to cover that whole window? curtain. <laughs> as long as you don't mind paying the shipping to the UK. Sure. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> 
So Stone Raider 2 is a Boulder Dash clone that we've shown before that was on the Dragon originally. And of course, we've got, um, what's DICOM's called? Bouncing Boulders. So this one's called Boulder Crash by Blaby Computer Games. Now, I'd not seen this particular one before, so I thought I'd play a little bit of it. I like the title screen there. No ghost behind him. Boo. The graphics are a little bit different in, in certain cases, too. Oh, yeah. oh, so you have a ghost chasing you. That's different than Boulder Dash, right? Were there bad guys chasing you in Boulder Dash? I don't remember. No. No? So this added ghost. You know what would make this game better? If it was in space. Just add some stars in the background yeah. of the black areas. Yeah. And, and just fire space. lasers at it. And there's a, a diamond. Space game sell. <laughs> <laughs> See, Stefan actually had the right idea because Hibernated, I think, I believe, does take place partly in space. In space. Even though it's a text game. He's even got a little timer bar here you can see counting down. And... Oh, yeah. <clears throat> if he finishes the level here, this. I like it. Here. Looks good. We're getting minor, minor artifacting. Uh, this must be the PAL artifacting. You see a little bit of the purpling in the Purple, boulders yeah. there. Yeah. Is that water? Like bubbles down there? Oh, what yep. the hell just happened there? He just died. I like the title screen. It's pretty slick. Yeah. It, it looks like a good take on, on Boulder yeah. Dash with some bits added in and a bit thing, a couple things changed slightly to make it a little bit more unique. So I quite, quite like it. I've never yeah. tried this one. No. Tried uh, but yeah, the whole scrolling and eating away and falling and diamonding type stuff, that's all. Those play mechanics are there. Yeah. And next up, I believe the author's here. I don't know if he's still awake. Nick, are you there? Oh, hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah what? <laughs> So this is your oh. latest blog entry for Zero Hour, which oh, is kind no. of talking about player movements. Another uh, another chapter, another sleep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's that's. I like my how you explain chapter. how a joystick works. You know that left left goes left and right goes right. That was pretty cool. Well, because yeah, it's, yeah. he's in Australia. For him, it's upside down. He had to translate it. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I keep it uh, really, uh, really low key. <laughs> um, yeah, th this um, this chapter was about getting the man to move around. I, I had it half done last chapter, but I said I'll I'll uh, I'll provide a video and finish it in the next chapter, and that's what this chapter is about. So I have the character, your main player sprite, moving about the screen, and I just uh, had to work out the best combination of. Um, joystick controls to allow him to do everything that you needs walking left walking right um throwing um an emf bomb as i call them uh, entering doors and jumping so the video mainly is uh if you want to play the video here shows it to you there yeah like i'll, the I'll turn the screen. sound up on this more than normal because the sounds in this are quite subtle yeah i know my recording isn't that great but anyway so that's the uh, the uh, well the title in a track screen, mm -hmm. and then when you press the button, it goes into the game. And the the bomb. I like oh, I like that animation. It looks really good. The yeah, so that's good. our little character. He's he's uh, as I said last chapter, he's taken straight from my Rupert Rhythm game, but he's been improved. Um, yeah, more, more frames, frames of animation. Yeah, more yeah. frames of animation. Looks a little bit more human rather than walking around with something stuck up his pants. 
Um, he's <laughs> a lot more fluid. That's the death scene. The only thing I got working. We can see at the, the animated flames up there too. Yeah, I got the flames going. Uh, I've got the uh, elevators. I also did get these elevators. These are a bit different to the normal elevators in that they just roll one direction, like in Donkey okay. Kong. Yeah, I like so, this. This is really impressive with the gears in the background, you know? Yeah, yeah. All the levels have gears except that that uh, first intro or the foyer screen. Yeah. And the Ooh. idea is, uh, yeah, you've got to not let so yourself get how, whacked by the... Uh, how far can you fall before you die? Is it like a half a person length? Well, that's adjustable. So I've got it so that you can't just jump from one platform down to another one because then that kind of defeats the purpose of even having the elevators then. Um, but it does allow a little bit. So you can jump even if the elevator is not quite up to your level or... In some instances, the uh, elevators don't stop. You know, you've got to jump on them while they're moving. So there is right. a degree of uh, fall allowed. Um, so this is really annoying. good. This looks really good. This is like a Donkey Kong on steroids as far as uh, what's going on visually. A lot more perceived stuff going on on the screen here. This is really slick and it's not even a full game yet. Yeah. No, no, like in this level, there's meant to be fire all down the bottom, those bottom platforms. So the idea is the platforms go into the fire and then uh, come back up. And, and you're, you're meant to get off the platform before, before you, you get pushed into the fire as well. So there's still a lot of things to be done. But I'm just trying to get the basic mechanics, getting the player moving, yeah. getting it to do all the jumps. There, there was one where you jumped too far. One interesting thing is if you try to jump to a moving platform, you've got to take into account the fact that if the platform is moving down, well, the distance that your character therefore jumps is going to be longer by the time you get to the platform. So you've got to take that into account that uh, you've got to, if it's moving away, you've got to jump uh, earlier to it. If it's coming towards you, you can wait a bit longer. Yeah, it, you've got to, a, yeah. a few things figure out the, uh, the inertia yeah so there's yeah. a bit of bit of yeah now could you guys hear the, the jump and landing sound yeah I don't, I, it was oh, low you, but yes you could yeah, you could yeah. probably turn it all the way up if you wanted to curtis it wouldn't uh... yeah or if you want to hear his grunts yeah okay and you hear the background you know the background is that constant drone of the the engines in the background oh i thought that was curtis going over the noose i don't know <laughs> no, it's a different droning sound. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you can hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my recordings aren't the best. I've, yeah, I've I like the droning well. sound though. Boom! Yeah. Nice. So yeah, there's still work to do, but I got the player going. So that was the first main character. Uh, I've yet to do the robots. Uh, there's two robots to animate as well, but the player. I mean. Animating a human character is probably one of the more difficult things to do because it's so complicated. Oh, tell me to make, about it. To make the legs look natural. Uh, the robots, well, they're on wheels. They just yeah. slide around. They're easy. Honestly, if you, were just, if you were just to get, like, say, your brother to um, or a relative to kind of do it all and you can kind of motion capture it and then rotoscope it out, it would be real simple. 
<laughs> Prince of Persia. Work for Prince I of have... Persia. <laughs> <laughs> and very well. Well, I have, I have done that uh, in the past. That's right. Uh, well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the uh, the results here. He looks a bit better than what he did in Rupert Rhythm, that terrible game. Um, <laughs> this looks really you good. You hate that game. Well, yeah. <clears throat> you you should compare this game to the game of the week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it looks hundreds of times better. All right, agreed. Are you are you now, busting not... on jungle on uh, jungle queen? Jungle love <laughs> driving me mad. See this one here, you can actually walk well, across. Okay. There was a bit of a fall there. Yeah, I saw that. It was kind of a step he could, down. He could actually fall down. Yeah, so you can do a few fall downs, but not too much. And the bottom control panel, none of, none of it's actually active as yet. They're going to have a, a timer in the middle. There's other displays showing yeah, you how I many. Love, I love how it kind of yeah. looks like a circuit board and you've got the like LED panels board, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it looks really good. So, yeah, that's... This. I have to say, though, to your go. running animation looks a lot better than Rupert did. Oh, so Kevin Holloway yeah, says this game is much more macho than that Jungle Queen game. So, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Right. We're going for that. We're going yeah, for Ron, that. Ron approves. Right. That's right. I've got to have Macho Man playing in the background, yeah. you reckon, eh? <laughs> well, that's the end of the game on news. Let me switch on over to the regular news. To Michael Furman's favorite part, the snoozy newsy. <laughs> Looks really good, Nick. Thanks for sharing. No worries. Screen sharing has failed to start. Yeah. This idea. awkward silence is brought to you by Curtis's lack of preparation. So. No, this is brought to you. I'm getting errors <laughs> in the browser for some, or in uh, Zoom for some reason. Zoom. I'll start it over again. So we had PC and Apple trouble. <clears throat> I'm not sure yeah, what was going on there. Sure. I kept saying it was, uh, it was getting an error trying to share. <clears throat> We're here. Okay, so first up. Um, actually, that's not the first one. That's the last one. So let's go back. So Pedro's put up a couple of videos this week, and of course, he's recently joined our Discord, and he's famous for doing the Coco Two duplicate motherboard, which you can see in blue in the background here. Coco Blue Board. So one thing uh, he's been trying to do is coming up with modern replacements for some of the custom chips in the Coco, or hard to find, no longer manufactured chips. So the one they was doing in this particular video here is the 6821, the PIAs. These control the keyboard, the cassette, the sound, joysticks, all kinds of stuff. And now the original Coco ones, and you hardware guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the original Coco ones, I believe, just had 6821s, two of them. And then the Coco two, or maybe even later Coco one, switched to a 6821 and a 6822. There's some electrical right. difference of tolerance, I think, on the 22 that they decided would work better with the keyboard. Am I coming out of my butt here? Is that right? Seems to be more robust. Yeah, I think you could smash enough keys to make the 21 die. Hmm. Okay. So we just got a comment from Michael Furman saying, I, I actually do watch the news most of the time. It's hard to keep track of everything going on in the Cocoa Land, and the news segment really is a good summary. So there you go. Who are you, and what did you do with the real Mikey? Yeah, right. <laughs> his account, his account has been hacked. <laughs> Somebody hacked Mikey's account. 
You know, it's funny too. I was thinking like every now and then I'm like, okay, are we really telling you news or are we just kind of like uh, spoon feeding Facebook to people? But I was watching quote unquote real news the other day and they were doing the same thing on real news. Local news was showing a bunch of crap that was on Facebook on the real news. So it's just like, really? Uh, well, I think there's a, there's a fair number of people, not a, not a majority, but there's a fair number of people that aren't on Facebook. They refuse. Right. Due to privacy concerns, whatever else. There's others that, you know, refuse to join the list there are people yeah. that refuse and, to and watch for, youtube so for better or for worse probably for worse people consider facebook as a source a valid source of information which is rather scary actually but uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> but at least when it comes to hobby based stuff it's usually not fake news when you get stuff posted on facebook so uh, yeah I, so, I have so many areas on facebook i'm subscribed to it's hard to keep up with all of them i have i know music, yeah that's that, that playing old computers now mike miller is saying the keyboard pia on the dragon often failed did someone say on discord that you can configure the pia the wrong way around the read of the keyboard and the pie blowing up and kind of <laughs> um i don't know enough about that so well tetris configures it backwards and the port a on the pia and the port b on the pia are electrically different in the way that they are constructed so the idea is port b can drive more electronics out as a load than port a can so that's why the coco by default the port b is used as an output to send the signals into the keyboard and then the key switches close and open signals on port a as inputs but tetris does that backwards for whatever reason and uh one theory is that when you're running the keyboard in reverse as it were the load is just too much for the chip. Hmm. I haven't heard of anyone actually blowing their PIA by doing that, like playing Tetris or something. But that's the the idea is there is an electrical difference. Okay. Okay. At any rate, the, the Motorola version of these chips are no longer manufactured. So anybody who's selling them these days on eBay, et cetera, is actually pulling them from extra stock somebody had lying around or pulling them out of old motherboards or whatever. Because a lot of machines use PIAs, not just Coco. So what he's found here is that a company called Western Design has actually got a modern replacement. And he does some testing here to do it, so I will. I replaced my 6821 and my 6822 uh, PIA, and the other one's a, uh, I guess, IA, IIA, right? With a modern, still-made PIA, that is a drop-in replacement for the 6821, made by uh, Western Design. And so I'll be testing, uh, I guess, you know, audio. Um, I'll be testing keyboard input and a couple of other things. But, uh, you know, in this video, I'm just going to play a game uh, so you can see that that works. And so right now I have Slayer and Nerys in there. Okay. And it's hooked up to. That's a pretty macho game, right? That Slayer the Nerys? Okay. There it is. So it turns on. That's a good sign. And. That's input from the keyboard. Skill level will be just enter zero. And you can see I can. No, oh, those trademark spectral associate sounds, yeah, man. Yeah, that one sound routine they wrote once and then used forever and ever. Yeah. Kind of like the uh, Pac Tac explosion audio. sound. You hear that yep. a few times, right? So. <laughs> used in Cave Hunter, used yeah. in Pac Tac. <laughs> so if I switch over. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess. All right. I don't know, it was a subroutine that they came up with in the JSR, and then boom. Precisely right. 
That is a so some You're learning. On, some of the history on Western uh, Design Center. Uh -huh. The guy that runs here. it is Bill Mensch, I think is how his name is pronounced. And he was one of the eight engineers that left Motorola and went to MOS Technologies and built the 6501 and 6502. And I was just looking at his Wikipedia page. He's also the inventor of the 6820, 20, and 21. Oh, okay. So these were his designs, basically. Now he's just yes, re- exactly. Uh, so it's not even like it's been reverse engineered. It's just being re-engineered. No. Well, he, he may not have licensed them from Motorola, but he obviously built them the first yeah. time. So. So, yeah, I mean, so it's good to it's good to know that we have a modern drop and replacement port that is actively. This is not the same so, as the salt chip, though, right? No, that's, that's a totally different. separate thing. That's the one and that he's one actually of, working on. He's working on yeah, the salt Pedro's chip. Yeah, Pedro's goal is to try to make modern replacements or fine modern replacements, like in this case, for every single custom chip in the Coco, um, so that we don't have to start pulling, you know, from other motherboards and destroying right. motherboards to get chips out, et cetera. So. Whether it's going to be done via you know a replacement chip like this that somebody else has made already, or, or it's going to be like that he's doing the salt chip, he's actually coming up with his own design with an FPGA or CPLD or something to simulate the original, but make it socket compatible. And also Frank at Retro Rewind talked a few weeks ago about doing six, eight or nine or six three or nine replacement that actually will be an FPGA chip that you can plug right into the six eight oh nine socket. So, so it'll be pin compatible. Yeah, so but that means you can actually just plug it straight in and go right, and then be right. compatible. Yep. And also allow the opportunity to add extra features at that time because, of course, right. FPGAs can do a lot more. So. Right, it's kind of almost like the Gimme X CPU replacement, the CPU yep. X, you know. So um, cool stuff, cool stuff. And hey. then he did a second video here, um, and this is uh, showing him hooking up his Coco to HDMI using the open source design that was on Aaron Newcomb's Retro Hack Shack channel on YouTube, which we showed probably a couple months ago now, I think it was. Now, I will mention this because uh, we, we mentioned we have a special guest of Stefan in two weeks. We have a special guest next week as well, near the beginning of the show. So Aaron Newcomb of Retro Hack Shack will be on, and he's the one who did the HDMI video that this is based on. And, uh, of course, he's also uh, one of the uh, co-hosts on some of the shows on Twit uh, TV, Lula Laporte's podcast network. So he's a regular on Floss Weekly, which is their open source uh, show. And then he's also... Fairly well guests on um, Android Weekly, and he guests on This Week in Google. He's occasionally been on the, the flagship show This Week in Tech. So he's, he's fairly, fairly big in the podcasting world. I mean, the, some of those podcasts get hundreds of thousands of views a week type thing. So um, this is uh, Pedro's take on this board. It's a little bit glitchy, but he's got some longer wires and he probably should use, and he mentions that in the video too. And uh, Pedro said that he's busy next week, but he's going to try to call in via phone when Aaron's on so he can actually ask him a couple of questions. So we'll get some of the hardware guys talking to each other there on the show, hopefully, if everything goes smoothly. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to having Aaron on the show. If anybody who's been a regular watcher of Twit and has seen him on some of the, like this week in Google and stuff may remember that years ago, he was one of the first people to wear a Dungeons of Dagger t shirt. And this is before it became like a real commercial enterprise because now several people make that shirt, but he's wore it before. I remember on the Twitch chat, everybody's asking, that's a cool shirt. What is that? And, of course, me being a Coco guy, I had to explain this is one of the best games of all time ever written, you know, and it was on <laughs> Tears of the other computer. And, and uh, you know, so Aaron's done, he does a lot of retro stuff on his channel. He's been doing Amiga stuff lately. He's been doing Apple II stuff lately. He's done Commodore stuff and, of course, Coco stuff. So, But this bigger one was uh, Pedro's take on, on that HDMI board, which he gets pretty pretty good results on. I mean, here's the, the text That's pretty here. clean, yeah. But he did notice some but, weird glitches uh, here, and he said this just might be the way he designed it. In the issues in the screen, that happens. Now, mm. in space <coughs> or something, 
uh, it clears up. I think that might be related uh, to an algorithm just looking for the color green. I'm not sure. Let's go back to green. That looks fine. Okay. Um, I can play. I'm going to play. So anyway, I'm hoping Pedro will be on, and him and Eric can discuss, you know, some of the details here and help, you know, Pedro fix his little adapter here too. Then it might make it easier for some other people that are trying to do the same thing later on. So look forward to that interview next week and Stefan on the week after that. So a couple of good interviews. Uh, Kevin Holloway is asking, does the audio come through the HDMI as well, or do you need to pipe that out of a different uh, connector? I'm trying to remember. I don't know if he mentioned that in here because if he is just testing the video. Per se. Let me see okay, Mike Miller says no, there's no audio sampling. Okay. Oh, no, that's coming out of the video. Yeah, and that's how to do that whole copyright. You have to get the licensing yeah. crap for HDMI, which is five to, or four to five figures of dollars you have to pay. Ed. Probably just doing DVI with an adapter to the HDMI. Yeah, I mean, there's some ways to kind of get around it, but just don't put the not, audio. Not entirely legally. <laughs> just don't put the audio on there. It's not HDMI. All right. Yeah. Boom. Okay. Very cool stuff. Ooh. Next up, speaking of assembly here, <clears throat> we covered this channel last week, <clears throat> and I don't know if it's coincidence or not that they've this person's been putting Cocoa assembly language stuff up as we started our assembly language course. But Amber's Vibe Corner on YouTube, so there's another one here. And this one actually shows the full desktop environment uh, running the emulator, which I think before they just showed the screen of the Cocoa itself running. So you can actually see some of the code here on the right and the actual cross-assembler using ASM6809 here. And this one just does a mode to our with initialized screen. There's the source code there. There you assemble it. Running it directly from the assembled version. And there it and is. Voila. It's basically a P mode for screen. Yeah, and clearing. Now, I want to mention here that John's not on, John Lurie's not on the call today, but I will mention there was a, some talk here. And and the person mentioned in in the in the comments of the video that occasionally the program would crash mm -hmm. and and not exit properly, and then John kind of looked at the code and figured out that he, the person never initialized the X register before they start clearing it. So whatever X is randomly loaded with, it'll start there and start ripping through memory, mm. and it'll stop once it hits you know the screen here, at the end of the text screen. But the problem or the end of the graphics screen. But the problem is is if X was past that to begin with. It'll go all the way to the very end, hit all the I.O. registers and everything else. And if it somehow managed to survive that, it would actually wrap back around and start zipping through from zero on up. So that's why it's crashing, because it just depends on what X happened to be loaded with from basic before he called it. So uh, John kind of explains, you know, that's what's happening. And just basically, if you initialize X first to um, E00, it basically solve the problem. Thank or in you, this John. case, I think it was actually uh, 600. Uh, the other thing that John mentioned is that this, the way this is currently coded, it's hard coded for a cassette based Cocoa system. So this will not work properly in a disk system because the mm. screen moves. Ah, so the he, location and memory of the graphics screen. Yeah, the graphics screen in, in, in a cassette system starts at 600 hex. Okay. Which is 1536 in decimal for decimal people. And on disks, it starts at E00, and I can't remember what that is in decimal off the top of my head. Yeah, it's just, it's just the decimal version of that. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Because basically, this basically reserves a, a chunk of memory right after the text screen uh, for disk buffers and that kind of stuff, and then basically uh, moves the graphic screen out of the way of that. So if you run a cassette-based program that's hard-coded for cassette screen locations on a disk system, it'll actually go through your disk buffers writing whatever graphics you're doing. And of course, those two don't like each other very much. You can corrupt your disk. You can get that infamous FS error when next time you directory your disk because it, it flushed out the buffer with 
you know, a picture of Donkey Kong or something on it instead of actual data and probably prior discs. So John gave him some really good tips there on, on how to fix that up so that doesn't become a problem. Next up, <clears throat> and I don't know if he's gotten a chance to watch the show because I invited him to come take a to look at it. So <clears throat> a YouTuber calling himself Nice Keyboard Allen uh, put up there a Candy Cocoa 3 system and he managed to get at his local Goodwill for $30. Wow. And it's like a nice white case. He actually got this drive with it too, which is he's not a cocoa drive. It's kind of a strange one. Got the manual with it. He got a typing tutor bucks. cartridge with it. But thirty dollars. Wow. Wow. Now, unfortunately, he took a look at what they're worth on eBay, and I think he's pretty sure he's going to sell it. He's got a ton of retro machines. He said he doesn't really have room for it. So I was hoping maybe he'd stop by the show and if he actually you know like what we're showing off, and maybe he'll end up keeping it. We'll have to see. Um, I won't play too much of the video because he does do some fairly colorful language in the middle of it. Um, no f and way <laughs> but here's a close-up of the drive with the little eject button it says tandy on that drive there Isn't yeah was this a model 100, 100? model yeah. 100 yeah. yeah that's what i thought yeah so i'm thinking is that a still a five and a quarter it almost looks like it might be a three and a half is that no it should be yeah. three and a half it's three a three and a half. half i think yeah interesting but you can see how white the case is the keyboard's yeah, not all that yellow clean. like this is a beautiful beautiful shape and he goes through and he kind of hooks up the TV and tests it. He doesn't have an RGB monitor or anything on it. So um, he does uh, run Typing Tutor on it, which is, you know, not that impressive a software demo. <laughs> Got the su supplemental software catalog and stuff, too. Uh, typing Tutor is an amazing program. Oh, yeah, dude, I'm winning the game. Ah, oh, dude, I won. With 87 errors. 87. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got high score and errors, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, I, I doesn't. I don't know if he got a chance to stop by, but if, if he uh, watches this after the fact, uh, hopefully we've uh, at least given you some reason to try to keep the Coco 3. If we can, we can definitely help you with extra hardware and, and software, and there's a ton of stuff you can get that you know, may, will make the experience much better. And you don't need to have actual disk drives. You can get an STC, so it doesn't take much disk space, because that's just one concern you mentioned during the video. He's got a bunch of retro systems, like about a dozen or so. And he just doesn't have desk space for everything. So, see, we get me a feedback on that. Sounds like most of us. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, I like this. I remember seeing this one. Yeah. Yeah. So Brenda posted this on the Nitrous Nine group, and uh, they she, she designed a 3D case that looks like an FD five hundred one for the Coco SDC. Um, and then they actually made this, you know, not to be copyright problem, handy color computer. And even made a little tandy label for the SD card itself. You know, get that full retro, retro look. But it's a pretty well the right size. Even has the little, you know, little, I don't know what do you call them, air holes. I don't know if you really need it on the tandy board. There's the raw 3D print case with the label on it. That part's a little different than you'd see on the, the regular FD501. And then just back on the regular specs, but I thought it was a pretty pretty cool looking one. I haven't seen anybody try to do that before. Try to make the SDC case look like an actual floppy controller. And uh, I mean, obviously the SD does hard drive and floppy, so it actually would looks more period correct, I guess, even though it's using all the new SD card functionality. Well, the SDC was designed originally by Darren to uh, fit into an FD five hundred two case. That was the original idea. Yeah, and then you had to do the cutaway before you can get to dip switches and 
that you had to modify the original case. Well, this is actually pre-designed. You didn't have to. You you you'd open up the case and and do the switches. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was designed to fit into a, an right. MD five hundred two case. Those dip switches don't need to be adjusted, other than no, you know, setting no, they up, don't. Setting up a few things. There's like you yeah. set, it, set it once and seal it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. unless unless one of the people that has one STC and has a dragon and a cocoa, because you definitely do need to. Well, buy two. Yeah. Oh, they're cheap enough. Yeah, I like that. It's a neat project. It looks it looks very uh, legit. It looks very tandy, correct, you know? And being yeah, black, it, it hides the uh, 3D print little marks that you get on a 3D printer. So, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, and even the label that she duplicated actually looks pretty cool, too. I mean, at a first yeah. glance, I thought it said tandy for yeah. the computer. Even at the right fonts. Yeah, and I don't know if you've covered it, but somebody posted that they came across the um, IDE controller that used the compact compact flash card. Yeah, the Cloud Nine one. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't put that in the news because that's not really news; it's just something for sale. Okay. There's only the well, one. Somebody of them, was so kind of asking about it. I think. Okay, this looks cool. I saw this one too. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of things in this picture. I mean, the, the picture was posted to show this controller, this joystick controller, which is actually, I don't know, is that duplicating. Arrow buttons the arrow at the same buttons time, then, or is that basically faking joysticks in those directions? I'm not sure what, how that works. And then a little paddle to do your actual, if you want to play a paddle style game, like Pong. or Right, and I'm wondering what the two buttons are. Like, is one of them the space bar or something else? Like, I don't know what those two other keys are. Is that, that's yeah, supposed to be like the I, my, my current guess, and I don't know if this is right, is that the left two buttons are your fire button one, fire button two, because this is a Coco 3. Right, and then there's and that your the right keys. four are basically a key to duplicate joystick all the up, way down up, left and right left. yeah okay that's my so kind of like a digital know. joystick but broken down like a gamepad yeah yeah but with the paddle controller with you the can paddle still do controller analog in there yeah so that would be your x-axis so you have the digital hard left hard right but then you have the analog soft left and right yeah i should mention the guy who posted this is nick uh, brissabak and he's fairly new to uh our coco discord i believe and now, take a look at the Coco 3 behind it, though. Look at the, how the keyboard's outside the Coco 3 on another whole other board. Of... Well, that's not even a Coco 3 case, I don't believe. I don't know what that is. I think it was a broken wide, case he had to fix. Ah. Uh, looks like an external keyboard case, yeah. What were you saying, Mark? I think it was a broken case he had to fix. It has no yeah, step it... where it should... Yeah, you're yeah, right. It's, it's like it's like a separate. Case. Yeah, there's no air it's holes. There's no. I don't think it's a Coco case yeah. at all. I think it's some kind of custom. There's something theme custom theme keyboard holder that's got a handy badge on it. Well, they they have keyboards like that. I have some for my uh, North Star Advantage that you know, or a keyboard like that on the little case, and then they have a ribbon cable. So they're they're common. So I don't know. In this case, like, are the Coco guts inside that thing, or is that a keyboard like you said on a ribbon cable like connected a, to the Coco which is off enough. screen somewhere? Not big enough. There's not enough room in there to fit the rest of the cocoa yeah. parts, power supply, and all that kind of stuff, right? So. Yeah, even if the cocoa board went all the way to the very front, there's not enough room. So that might just be a separate keyboard, cocoa keyboard, like you say, on a ribbon cable. Looks cool, though. Yeah, it does. It looks, I do like looks, this controller. Uh, That's actually kind of a neat yeah. way to cover a couple bases at once. And I like how the keys are kind of clear keycaps, too. That's interesting. You know what those could use is some blinky lights. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Next up, uh, Norm Lanaro posted some pictures from Chicago Coco, or Rainbow Fest, sorry, from years and years ago. Now, this is, I think, actually, I believe from 1985 or 84, so probably around the same time Ron went. 
I wonder if these are stills from the video. We showed off they this are. video that we had shown on the Virtual Cocoa Fest. Yeah. Yeah. So and the stills, gonna... I mean, you can kind of capture individual people. As you can there's, see like the Sundog Lonnie. booth behind Lonnie. Yeah. And here's the Burke and Burke booth. Um, there's Coco Cat. Meow. I went in 84. Marty Goodman. In a tie? Yep. Wow. And I did see that occasionally. Very... And you also notice he's got a Coco on an external keyboard. Oh, yeah, look at that. I'm like a wood green. Now, this is before, I think this is a year or two before my first Rainbow Fest. So this is uh, predates even my going to these things. That's, I think, the Rainbow or Candy booth. The That's Rainbow. Rainbow booth, Amazing how the hotel carpet just hasn't changed in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Why, why bother? <laughs> hey, that, that was good. I thought it was a good trip down memory lane with some nice still shots of a couple of luminaries like Lonnie Falk, the Coco Cat, and, and Marty Goodman. Absolutely. And like you said, in a suit, which is not something you see Marty in too often. Yeah, I only met him that one time and we had him on the show, but he never he didn't strike me as a conformist kind of guy. So No, he was uh, a rebel. I yeah. mean, we've heard some of the stories from Steve there, um, or even from Tim Linder and me from when we went. So. Yeah. I think Tim mentioned he saw him recently. Yeah, well, they live pretty close to each other, so I think they kind yeah. of meet up every once in a while. So. Yeah. this is daniel o'connor who's uh kind of redid the room here put all the keyboards together and you can see two little cocoa things around tucked in the center right um, so the cocoa one with an sdc on a vga monitor with cocoa vga and then the uh repack she did and it's earning lyra by the looks of it uh, in a model three case yeah we got quite uh, the amount but apparently of you can never have too many keyboards is what i'm gathering from this no. picture you don't see many wires no not many. It's all surprising. Other, other than the patch, the patch panel in the back there, but yeah. So yeah, ton of ton of musical equipment here, and, and I think she's just finishing up the Coco themed album, isn't she? I would well, imagine that room runs pretty cool. I can't see a, too much heat being generated there by that electronics. <laughs> Especially in Australia, it never gets hot there. <laughs> it's a winter. This is a great room to be in at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like but a, your definition of a, winter is quite different than most people's, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only plus 25. Yeah, we haven't really heard. Uh... No, he's in Adelaide. They do get uh, below zero. Mm. Mm. Oh, wow. Below zero? You're kidding. <laughs> That's, That's like... half our freaking year here. <laughs> My refrigerator is. <laughs> <laughs> is your refrigerator running? Yeah, I've got to go catch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Retro Gaming Arcade. What do we got here? Homebrew computer games on cassette tape. TRS-80 using a TI Instruments program. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting mix there. So this person picked up an MC-10, and the MC-10 came with some hand-labeled cassettes that somebody had written their own programs for, or maybe downloaded a few and typed them in. Uh, but it came with a TI cassette drive for a TI, like 994A or something instead. So they kind of did the match, you know, match mix up between the two machines here. So it's, when worlds collide, computer programs on discs, you had to save them on a data cassette tape, just like audio cassettes. Save and load them using a similar tape recorder connected to a computer, which was very helpful because without saving it on a physical media, you would have to retype your basic program every time you wanted to play a game or using any kind of program. I found these mystery tapes when I bought this TRS-80 MC-10 at a flea market. So let's load them up and see what we find.
was the uh, TNNNA. So. Yeah, tape player is a tape player, right? Yep. And it proves that, you know, they were pretty standard between Yeah. And Mike Miller says the MC-10 is nearly bigger than the cassette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mystery tapes. Some programs do have an index label. Okay. Yeah. So I'll fast forward because, I mean, watching it load and watching the tape is kind of boring. If you just did the generic C load, you would get the first thing on the tape regardless of what it was, right? Well, it depends if you're trying to load a machine language program or not, you have to add the M, so. Three and one Mad Libs. Ooh. Entering nine letter adjective. Yeah, it's a word game. It's boring. Macho. Skip that. <laughs> it's not nine letters. Okay. Bonus. I like his chiptunes music. Castle Quest, Magic Land, Pig Squash, Spelling Room. Now, this is an interesting one. I don't recall seeing this one before. It's kind of hard to read on the screenshot it's here. Scott but it's Adams Adventure, Adventure from Scott Adams Adventures, Adventure International, with I... an MC10 port by Eric Phillips. Um, for the people here that are more familiar with the MC10, is that something they've seen before? I don't remember Scott Adams making MC10 adventure games back in the day, and I don't remember anybody porting them before, so maybe I'm just not... Well, Jim Gary's ported a million things, but um, I don't know if this one has. I don't have the... So to actually have some of the original Scott Adams Adventures in MC10 is kind of cool, and I don't know if that's been seen before, and I don't know if this guy sold them or what, or you know just gave them away or where they came from. So, but there's a couple of new screenshots of some other games that they found on the tapes that this person's written. Eric Filter is that name again? We need yeah. to see if that person's so, around. <clears throat> I don't know if that was somebody that actually wrote a bunch of stuff semi-commercially or you know for download back in the day or if it was just the owner and you just happened to port all these things oh, called, that's true. you know a jim gary clone or something yeah interesting cool that was kind of cool next mc10 story <clears throat> dylan tegan now we've we've talked about robert sieg's been fiddling a lot lately with the alice 32 and the alice 90 or 80 or whatever the other one's called which has those extra video chips and extra hardware in it for doing 4080 columns higher res graphics etc and apparently it came with a built-in editor assembler mm. in the ROM. I wonder if that could be ported to run on the MC-10. I, I That's a good question. Because, um, I mean, there's some support in the editor assembler itself for 1480 columns um, to run, like, Ed Tasm that, you know, Robert Galt's patch for the Cocoa 3. So that obviously would not work in an MC-10, but if you can run a 32 column, maybe you can. So <clears throat> I've actually got the instruction manual that that's available for download for on the Facebook MC 10 group here. And I mentioned that's based on this book from September 84 and gives you some instructions and, you know, where memory you can use <clears throat> in the various machines are, how to initially load it. And then it kicks into a 40 column screen or an 80 column screen, depending on what you want. So you can actually type in, you know, and fonts and stuff that don't exist on the MC10. And then all the keys and stuff that do whatever. So it's a complete manual, but here's like a little sample in the 80 column mode. I don't know if it supports 32 column in the actual built-in editor assembler. The screenshots that were shown in this manual are only the 40 and 80 column screens. <clears throat> so I'm not sure. Um, but if anybody has, and these are fairly rare, I don't know anybody in the States that actually has you know, both these, the Alice 32 and the Alice 90. 
but it'd be pretty interesting to see what you could do with this and, and what all it supports. There is emulators, I believe. So yeah. yes, there is. We we showed them on the show, I think, last week or before. Next up is Dragon News, <clears throat> and these are the last three stories of the day. So the first one, excuse me. Yeah, have some water, Curtis. Oh, we didn't get a break to go get any, so I can't. Take a break. We can go take a break. <laughs> I got three left. I'll just cough up a lung. It's fine. Um, so the first one here by Tony Jewell. He upgraded his dragon based on a design of a Stuart Orchard, whom we've known you know, does stuff like the Return of the Beast game. Uh, he's upgraded his dragon to 256K, and he put some pictures up of it. You can see he's got a little you know, RAM test program running there. And he mentions in the comments, too, that uh, he said, this actually looks a lot cleaner than it is. He said there's a tundra, ton of bodge wires underneath the board hmm. to get this to work. I'm assuming it's kind of like the JR Banker 256K upgrade was on the Coco 1 and 2 back in the early, you know, early to mid-80s that Rainbow advertised, which basically you bank 32K chunks in and out. Um, but it's kind of cool the Dragon's got that too. I'm sure you could do some Nitrous 9 support for it. So, oops, I went this one's that one. It's a bit of a zoom up here. And, you know, while tying the pins together, I remember doing that. Mike Miller there. says it's a re-implementation of the Banker. Oh, okay, cool. So it is the same, which means the banker software support should already be there too, then, because that came with some utilities to use the two six k. Hey, pretty interesting project. Next up, this is a, a video teaser for a book, and it's from Raspberry Pi Press. And the book, obviously, you can see here, The Computers of Made Britain, The Home Computer Revolution of the 1980s, which mentions a dragon. So I'm going to play. It's only a 45-second clip. So okay. I'll just play in case people are interested in the history of, of computers in the 80s in Britain, which this covers all the different kinds. The book is now out, and it has a whole chapter oh, on the dragon. It has oh, okay, a whole cool. chapter on the dragon. Okay. Duran Duran all things that had a seismic impact on British society, but none more so than the computer. From Raspberry Pi- That's the worst simulated typing of a I was gonna say, that's a little- uh... <laughs> a book that, that, that was a Thunderbird character. It's a British show, isn't it? And the stories behind 19 computers that inspired a generation- Dragon. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a puppet. now from wherever you buy books and at wfmag.cc forward slash CTMB. Computers that made Britain. Raspberry Pi Press. Wow. So, Mr. Alan Murphy, you actually know probably more about this than I do. So it's it's just got published or has it been out for a while? Or? Yeah, no, it came out this week. So uh, Raspberry Pi Foundation sent out an emailer about the print book being available as, as well as a PDF available so you can get the pdf of the book now and uh there there's not a not really anything about the coco other than a mention that the dragon was you know in the family but there is a chapter on the dragon itself which makes sense because awesome. co these were supposed to be computers built in britain not just sold in yes. britain for the and one of the comments i saw on the raspberry pi site was i didn't know dragon was from wales <laughs> really well, we get a lot of stuff from Wales. We've they've been able to make like lipstick and candles and all kinds of stuff. I think Jonah <laughs> lived in a whale yeah. for a while. So. <laughs> so, what's the cost for the PDF and for the printed book? Uh, it's a free download. 
Oh, so the, the, the digital is free, but the physical. This would be a nice, uh, you know, kind of coffee, coffee table, table type coffee thing. Table yeah. Book. Yeah. Absolutely. Would match I didn't my, realize it was uh, free download. So, I, Alan, if you want to post the link to where the download is, because I didn't have that into the chat there, I'll, I'll grab it myself later, but for our viewers to be able to, in order to go grab it. Computers that made Britain. I like that. Great idea. Cool. And next up, the last dragon story. So Tim Gilbert's posted some uh, photos from the history of Metoy, which is actually the company that spawned the dragon. So they were a toy manufacturer since World War II. So this is a bunch of history of it. Now, I thought we'd kind of go through here because I didn't know all this extra history of it as well. So Swansea, okay. of course, is where Metoy was located. And this is some of the, you know, the employees back in the 40s type thing. The Second World War. Wow, that's going back. And I had no idea Metro had been around that long. And these workers being evacuated from the factory during a fire in December of 68. Okay. Well, luckily. Luckily they were evacuated. Batmobile. Yep. One of the best-selling die-cast models they ever sold. Wow. And was made at, at the Metoy factory. Is wow. it Metoy? Metoy? I'm not sure exactly what the pronunciation should be. Windy There's the Dragon Barker. 32. Nice. Women on the factory. Yeah. Equal opportunity employer. Yeah. Toys were sold all over the world. Were made in the factory. Okay. Hey, Marco, the link is in the Zoom chat. Okay, what are those things? Those look like those okay, little yeah. phones, like the Fisher-Price phones that you pulled on a string. Yeah, and the you, you pulled and, and they pop yeah. up and down and the eyes yeah. are moving. So, yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't realize they actually got to the point where there was over a thousand staff during its heyday. Like, that's wow. pretty big. Yeah, I know yeah. the Dragon uh, Factory had a 100, 150 employees at one point or something along that line. But... They hired Stephen Fry for their ads, so... They were obviously a going concern. Some classic, classic toy, toy cars. cars. They did a lot of stuff in like metals and woods, some like kind of hard, hard material construction. Yeah. Called Dragon Data, a Welsh producer of home computers in the eighties. Interesting. And the big Dragon drives, which not too many people bought because it's expensive, but. Yeah, that's, that's cool. The end of that. that is cool. And that's the end of the news for today. And that, as we say, is that. Thank you, Al Curtis Boyle. If, um, since we haven't taken any breaks, maybe we'll take a brief break, and then we'll come back with the final part of the show, which would be project updates and acquisitions. Um, so, uh, so far, so good. It is uh, just shy of 4 o'clock. So if we were on our normal time, we would have only been about two hours into the show. So you've gotten... You know, we got a we got a lot of show squeezed in, and it's still not that late in the day. How do you like those apples? Let's see what commercial break we want to run here today, boys and girls. How about DeBruce Moore is not here, but in honor of DeBruce Moore, where is my Forest of Doom? Here we go. We're gonna do a little bit of the Forest of Doom commercial here. So now it's time to take a potty break, clear your throat, get a drink, whatever you gotta do. We'll be back in a couple minutes, boys and girls. <laughs> We will return after these messages. 
Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's Color Computer 3 from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The Color Computer 3 makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word processing. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced Color Computer 3, only at Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strobe. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing... Coco Talk? Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Coco Fest. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Coco Fest Edition? Still low resolution, still digital to analog converted sound. More machine language. And basic. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Now includes the power of Terry to clear the road ahead. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Available as a DVD-ROM with all my past games as an alleged bonus. Including my unreleased fourth Rainbow Adventure contest entry. Unreleased for a reason. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Get your physical or digital copy at cancanmakeit.com. Now you've really paid too much. Nick Marionettes on Electricity. Electricity's a fad. The beast market is just open flame. Brought to you by Nitro Stein. Ease of use edition. Hashtag OS9 forever. Alright. And there we are. We are back. And everybody knows that Nick Morentes often says crikey. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like never. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, okay, we're moving along. Thank you, Curtis, for all of that news. Gaming news and news news. News from around the world. News covering the Coco. Yeah, sorry the about the Dragon, throat, throat clearing. <laughs> Coco Dragon MC10. All kinds of news there. Thank you, Curtis, for each and every week bringing that to us. Uh, so now what we're going to do is everyone's favorite segment, updates and acquisitions. I believe Rick Eulen mentioned early on today. 
when we started stuff that he had uh, something he wanted to update folks on. Uh, do you need to share a screen, Rick? Yes, I believe I will. Okay. So let's see if this will work. Uh, going for that mirror effect. Uh, do you see anything? I see uh, some type of scale or gauge or something. Some type of. Okay, yeah. So I've been waiting patiently, but JLC still refuses to install parts they don't have. So I bought my own toaster oven, and uh, I'm going to make a couple of things locally. But I haven't done this in 20 years, so I figure I should ask if anyone would want some of these when I get the boards made. Um, first being the, the Coco IO, which is the 10100 Ethernet and a 16550 serial port, except 16550s are pure unobtainium. So I may sell just a serial port version and a two port version for the few chips that I have. Um, in any case, if you might be interested in something like this, um, I'll drop an email at the end of the little show here. Um, you know, kind of cute. I like that. I like that look. Flushes up real good there with the two connectors. And uh, yeah, a little snap together case here, which will be, I need to stick it on uh, archive or something so people can print these. It's a handy thing. Uh, Then the other thing is I'm going through my keyboards and not only are the mylars busted, but you'll notice some of these are starting to turn black. Well, these black parts are actually starting to peel up off the mylar. So even if I could repair the and Those flexible, are traces? Those are traces that are actually curling up off of the mylar mm. base. So, you know, even if you had a fix for the traditional ribbon problem, it's getting worse. Yeah. So I came up with, you know, you've got all of this. Looks like a brand new cocoa. It's got nice double shot keys. Can I save this? I want to keep cocos that look original. So I came up with this thing, which uh, I haven't found the perfect switches yet, but... As you might guess, it plugs right into the back of a standard Coco keyboard to make a Coco keyboard again. Um, has one feature. Here's a switch that with a little 3D printed finger will reach out of the bottom of the Coco and you'll never guess what the switch does. Uh, for the arrow keys. It moves the arrow keys to Alt and Control. Oh, so, I oh, like awesome. that. Oh, yeah. Coco One games on- can be playable again. Exactly. And right when there. you're done, you just reach underneath and flip the switch back to Coco 3 and alting control is alting control. So that's another thing that's in the cooking. Wow. I and like then, that. Yeah, I, I might. Now that I'm so actually at work a... again, I might have to save up for this one. It's going to be is... a cheapie. If... Tell us about the switches. You're not sure these work? Well, they work. They're a little too hard to press, which would mm-hmm. require doing some handwork on the Coco thing. So I'd like to find some lighter switches so that I don't have to change the, the top half at all. I want to keep this just like it is, drop the board in, and you're done. And right now that's not actually true because this little blip here is what pushes on the mylar. And it's less than 100 grams or whatever the 100 whatever they measure these in, which is the lightest switch I've found so far, which requires me to do some hand work on it. I don't want to do that. I want to just take out the mylar, drop in my board, be done. So uh, anyway, does that does that replace the entire metal base back plate of the keyboard as well? Or exactly, you it just drops. So you take the... yeah the back plate off and the mylar and drop that in 
and don't flip it over so all the springs fall out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I found that out yeah. the first time I tried to clean one. <laughs> exactly. So and you'll notice the cocoa is very well made. It's got it's got risers under each key, so that you have to pour enough liquid in it to actually get I don't know three four millimeters thick before it would actually flow inside. Of course, then you immediately turn the cocoa over and dump it into the keycaps and <laughs> messed up that whole idea. But, but yeah, that's the thing. That's and a then, good idea. And then last and probably least, um, I had these Tandy drives and this controller, and I want to try to get them working. And since I have a lot of storage and storage, I figured I've got enough spare drives and so forth, so all I need is a controller. So I kind of cobbled up this, which I'm going to get made. And uh, I'll probably have one of those drives extra at the end of the day as well to get rid of. If anyone wants to do a real stock Tandy looking setup, um, we might have that. So long story short, if you want to see any of these things, send me an email. Here's my new email address at my new dot com. I will read that out for those listening. It's rick at computerconnect.com. One N in connect. Oh, connect. Yep. And that's based on your old company, Connect. Exactly. Did you call it Connect or Connect? What did you call it? Yeah, I think it was Connect because everyone understood it in the context of a cocoa. And I sold peripherals for the cocoa, so it was very kind of to the point. You were connecting things to your cocoa. Um, Anyway, that's where I've been at. Um, I'm not going to wait on the worldwide chip shortage to end, and I'm just going to get chips where I can and solder them up, and I kind of need to have some idea of how many boards to go by. Since I haven't is done there, this in 20 years, do you no think idea. the 16550s will ever be back, or are they, like, obsolete? Well, they're technically obsolete, but there are 10 zillion of them in the pipeline. You just have to get them where you can. But JLC doesn't muck around with surplus parts, you know, so. Do some of the bigger buffer chips, are those still made? Like 16650s, 750s that have like 32 byte buffers and et cetera. Are those still made or is the whole line pretty well being shut down? Uh, serial ports are kind of old news. So I don't know how long anything's going to last. Okay. But uh, hey, it's it's been worth my while, I think, so. I think you just got a pop-up from Brian Weaver saying he's interested because Brian does not have enough cocoa stuff already. Right, he, yeah. need, he needs if, more and, stuff. Yeah, Brian needs more cocoa stuff. He's, he's, I've got a fever, and the only cure is more cocoa stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so Patrick, anyway. um, with that um, RS-232 pack, do you plug in a um, just a nine-pin nine USB? your pc yeah there's the nine pin connector for the rs232 and then there's the ethernet jack for ethernet so you could run drive wire on one port without having to try to triple do your ethernet port was the idea okay so, and then what what software do you suggest you run on the on the um pc for it um or well just for drive wire well, it could be drive wire or, I mean, it's a serial it's port, a right? Serial port, it so. could be for anything. And, okay. and then the important thing is on the, the Ethernet side of it, you don't need anything. Plug it into your network hub or your cable co thing. Um, 
obviously we're going to need some cocoa oriented websites because it's not going to do encrypted https javascript you know, <laughs> right but uh i'm trying to do as much as i can with just the stock cocoa and not have to tie into a pc for everything although Drivewire is such a enticing so your thing. serial port would it be addressed the same way as like the RS-232 pack might be? So if you have software that recognize that card, it would plug and play or how, well, how, you have how, to have the, you have to have the 16550 driver, which there is one for OS nine, but there isn't one for basic yet. Oh, okay. So this that, that serial card is not really geared towards disc basic applications. It's more an right, address although nine thing. I, be I believe there is a driver application that's assembly. So you could you, use it as the drive wire port without anything that we don't have now. Do you but, think that would work with NetMate? That's Roger not, Taylor's terminal program, unless, unless not he unless he's patched it for sixteen five fifty, which Roger's fully capable of doing. But I don't think he's done it yet because we haven't had a commercial sixteen five fifty board out since the nineties. Right, and I was about to drop it, but then I found hundreds of the chips are out there, and hundreds is pretty good for our potential market yeah <laughs> so um you know i'm just trying to get an idea of should i buy a whole bunch of these or should i buy a couple of them or should i wait yeah so, i'm hoping anyway. bill bill's talked about doing a the 16550 driver for drivewire because the one big advantage there is that it would smooth multitasking drastically from the current ones because the current bitbanger one basically shuts the computer off until it finishes doing a transfer which means your clock stops and games pause and everything else um this RS-232 pack version is a little bit better, but it's it it doesn't buffer, so it still ties up the CPU a ton to be able to talk back and forth to drive wire, though it does let you multitask a little bit. The 16550 because it'll let 16 you know bytes come across before the cocoa gets involved will smooth out the multitasking drastically. It's almost like having a mini disk buffer type thing on a no-hold controller almost. So Bill is planning on doing a, a driver that will support the full buffering for it. And then DriveWire should be able to run smoothly in the background and you can actually do stuff while it's talking to DriveWire. That's the ultimate goal. Okay, that sounds nice. interesting. All right, thank you, Rick. Uh, did anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions, anything they want to talk about? Things they worked on this week? I can share screen for a minute. Go ahead, Mr. Delvo. Okay, what yeah. I have is a... Um, uh, you, you guys that are interested in pets. No, look at that. Super pet. Yeah, this is a 6809 on the board with a 6502. I wonder if it gets hot. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that Boise actually has a port of uh, Nitrous 90, too. Wow. Oh, yeah? Yeah, has anyone ever seen one? or It's called a super pet. No. I've, I've seen them. I've never owned one, but I have seen them, yes. So this was built this way with the 6809 yeah. Unless you go to Goodwill and find them for 30 bucks like that other guy. Oh, did. my goodness. Yeah. Far out. Uh, anyone else have anything to share? 
project updates, acquisitions, stories to tell, feelings to share. Did you guys see the cassette tape um, that was sold for $1,419 of print screen utilities for the Tandy Color Computer? No. From from Estonia. Can you share that? Because I've never heard of that one. Oh, um, well, let me go back to share screen. It's on uh, share. Oh, is it? I see extraordinary windows. Okay. How's this? Okay. I see that. Oh, I got to make it big. Sorry, guys. Maximize. I'm stuck. There. There it is. Screen print utilities, oh, 1419 Buy it now. Buy it Estonia. now. That Estonia. thing was yep. 10 bucks in the store back in the day. But did that get sold? Yep. Yeah, this sold... was sold May 7th. Wow. 2021. Uh, so how true could that be? You sure that isn't pesos or something, not dollars? It's, it's is, this, is this eBay? Yeah. Mm. Nah, something dodgy there. Yeah, fourteen hundred. I, I I was scrolling. I came upon it. I did a screen print. That's how I got it. Okay. So. Okay. Well, I guess the fourteen nineteen listed is the buy it now price, so maybe it sold for like five dollars. <laughs> you can buy it now for make, make me an offer. Oh yeah, you you're willing to spend five bucks? Here you go. So oh. imagine the the guy spent all that money. He puts it in the cassette player. He hits play. Tries to load it, it never loads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, even if it did, all it did was do screen dumps in black and white. That's all that program did. Oh, yeah. whatever was on your screen, it would just print to the printer. Yep. Yeah. Pima4, whatever. Yeah. They had a special color version for the CGP 220, but. Far out. All right. Anyone else have anything to share? Anyone, anyone. Bueller. I have a question for Bueller? you, Stevie, since you've yes. probably talked to him more than I have lately. I know Brian Weezer was out on the road today, but do you know when he's starting to plan to do his uh, 952-part no. series on stuff he picked up? No, we'd have to ask him the next time he jumps on Discord or something. Although I think he is, he was messaging Rick on Discord live because he was watching Rick showing his uh, uh, disk drives. So he might be listening to us. Maybe he could chime in. Uh, but to answer your question, no, I do not know. Okay. So. Um, I am looking forward to trying to do some assembly this week, getting my hands on some assembling. So I want to thank George J for doing that and everyone else. Uh, uh, Bruce Moore was here earlier uh, because we started the show early. He could work on. So for those in the, in who are watching us right now, how is the, er, the hour earlier working out for you guys as live viewers? I noticed that our live viewer counts a little bit lower, but also we lost the stream in the middle of the show. I don't know if that affected anything. Um, but, uh, for me, it worked out well. Uh, you know, we're coming up on four o'clock and I'm not even tired. So I'm, I'm happy to end the show now or soon, but I might even have energy to do something else later on this evening. Um, if that's even possible. So maybe we can talk about doing, uh, something, either a gameplay or maybe a live uh, impromptu programming session or something later this evening. We'll have to see how that goes. We haven't Um, had an after dark in a while. You haven't had an after dark in a while. That is true. You can now it'd be kind of like discord after dark, which is a whole nother thing. Kevin, also a reminder that we've got guests, we've got guests coming up on the next two shows, uh, interviews. So if you guys have any questions for Aaron Newcomb for next week or Stefan, uh, the week after that, uh, and in Stefan's case, definitely download the game and try it out. So you can ask yeah. questions specifically about the game. Yeah, I want to try it's that. It's free out. download. So uh, please get your questions and stuff ready for the next two weeks and uh, hopefully pop by to catch the interview. Excellent. 
Parting thoughts? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. I will just plug something that has nothing to do with Coco or Retro, but there's a new streaming show I just started watching on HBO Max called The Nevers, and it is made by Joss Whedon. If you guys, if you guys know who Joss Whedon is, he's created a lot of uh, cult classic Firefly. shows, Firefly, Firefly. for yep. example, and uh, stuff like that. Um, so, anyways, I've been watching that uh, on HBO Max, and it's kind of interesting. And I won't, I don't want to give anything away. I would just say, just watch it, and maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. Um, and Brian Weezer just chimed in on Twitch saying, I would like to have something in the next couple of weeks. Mike Miller says he's got a beer coming his way. Kevin Holloway says time for lunch and Miller time. So it looks like our, our audience is leaving us. All right. So let's say goodbye, everybody. We're going to roll the credits and we'll be back for final, final thoughts. After these words here, I will uh, share the screen so you guys can hear the outro. We're going to play the outro. Music courtesy of DeBruce Moore. And we'll be back for final thoughts. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! Man, when you just look at, you think about all the uh, entertainment content that D. Bruce Moore has created for us throughout the years. I just saw the guys in the elevator, the stuck in the elevator theme, and uh, guy's got so much talent. He's done so much. Uh, he's no Nick Morota, but you know he's he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> he's no Rondell Vaux. Rondell Vaux yeah. is a professional music critic. Yeah. Uh, he knows good music. He knows when a show is girly and when it's not. It's like Santa. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Um, so it's all good. It is good in the neighborhood. Nick Marentes, good eye. Thank you for being here. You can go back to sleep now. Yeah, yeah great. I can make up for lost time. <laughs> David Ladd, thank you for being here. You are excited and excitable, David, if you're even still there. Or maybe he's just a face on the wall. 
Rick Eulen, thank you. Looking forward to your projects as you come up with all kinds of cool goodies and gadgets for us. Mark B. That, that keyboard you. one, I like that. That alt control versus yeah. the hyper <laughs> That There's a ton of Coco 1 and 2 games I cannot play because of the Coco 3 keyboard. Because mm -hmm. even my Coco 1's got a Coco 3 keyboard in it now. So. And no case mod required. And there you go. Nick Marotta, yeah. thank you for your game on stuff. Alan yeah. Murphy, thanks for everything you do behind the scenes with the show. You help us out in so many ways. You are very appreciated. And You're he's, welcome. yeah. Rondo Vo, a pillar in the community. We appreciate you and cool. all you do. Your enthusiasm <laughs> is contagious. And we appreciate you, sir. L. Curtis Boyle. Eh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> all Good the day, news. Eh? The tireless. <laughs> Let me tell you something. L. Curtis Boyle gives until it hurts. His voice was literally going out <laughs> on him as he was giving you 19 hours of news. And yeah, he, sorry about the, uh, the unannounced <laughs> puberty there. Um, gives until it hurts. And gives again. Mark Overholzer. Johnny on the spot oh. with the links in the live chat. Uh, and all the, the commentary and, and, and comedy, uh, Kevin Holloway. Uh, are we going to stay at the time? We are going to stay at this time until the next time we change the time. Until that time, we'll be at this time, uh, and and time will tell. <laughs> well, yeah, we may be able to pull a Newfoundland thing and stick it to a half hour <laughs> instead. Of, you know, uh, all right. So on that note, say goodbye, everybody. We're pressing the button. See you next Bye, week. Everybody. Bye.